I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. 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 Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom. Swami Bionicus. And Swami Bionicus means you're going to be doing some doing predictions. Doing some predictions. And why? Predictions. It is the seventh annual Future Quake Prediction Show. Something beloved by humanity, and particularly our Futurians. Mm-hmm. Or at least I like to pretend so, yeah, even if they don't say it. Yeah, I, I like to make believe that they care about it. Uh, it's something that we've been known for. Cause one of the few consistent things of Future Quake, other than the low quality, mm-hmm. is the uh, prediction show, mm-hmm. where we look at a forecast for the upcoming year. And one thing we also do is that we normally have... Um, like the big five all-star set of people who uh, come on board and this uh, year will be no different we're going to have some people we haven't heard from in a while but some beloved uh, future quake guests with us and we've got a lot it's going to be a long show to get through all that so we need to pick it up but before I forget and we get into our guests I just want to thank Jerry and Miles in Texas Mm -hmm. uh, Sister Paula and also uh, Kenneth and Amanda in Colorado for your donations to Future Quake. And I really appreciate you uh, going there to the donate button on the front of futurequake.com. And that'll helps us with uh, internet cost and Skype fees and some research books and stuff that mm-hmm. we review here. And I want to thank you all for your support and everybody who does that. I got a new set of pandemonium books. Um, the last orders have just went out the door recently. But we've got a new set. If anybody wants uh, pandemonium, just order it at the front of futurequake.com. I do a little prophetic writing in there about Nimrod and transhumanism, if that would be your cup of tea. And uh, that's with that. Mm-hmm. And we're ready to move on into the prediction show. Sweet. And I think people would much rather probably hear somebody else instead of us. Yeah. But before we I know get into I that, any, any uh, word for our listeners? Anything you got to share from what's happening? Mm, no, not at this point. Nothing to share at this point. I mean, there's tons, but I, you know, okay. I'd rather just go to our people and leave it for a later point. Okay. Well, you can be real secretive mm-hmm. if you like. We like those secret societies here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, our first guest. And so our first one is one that's familiar to all of you all, uh, a close friend of our show, uh, and one who's always here for our predictions. We next have the one, the only, Robert Hyde, who's going to give us his predictions for 2012. Like he always does, we'll review what he did last year and look to the future. So no further ado, here's Robert Hyde uh, giving us his predictions for 2012, and we'll be right back to talk about it here on Future Quake. We're back at the Future Quake show with Dr. Future. And Ramalama Bionicanus. You know, I don't know where that comes back. I don't know if you did that just for our special uh, guest we have for this stage yeah. of our prediction show. Swami Bionicus in the his house. Okay. <laughs> we'll strike that from the record. We're going to start out strong um, with uh, one of our bestest friends here on the Future Quake show and a traditional mm-hmm. visitee for the uh, uh, prediction show. We have the one, the only Robert Hyde, who was joining us. For, for our annual predictions. And, Robert, it is great to have you back on Future Quake. It's good to be with you, Dr. Future and uh, Tom. 
How about your middle name tonight? It's 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 in flux. It's uh it's in flux. It was uh I was going no middle name, but just as Swami Bionicus for a while oh, in, in, in honor of the how honor about, of the prediction show. How about Nostradamus Bionicus? <laughs> You could have Nostradamicus. Some, you could have some quatrains. Nostradamic. Yeah. Well, uh, R- Robert, I know our time's short because we've got an all-star um, pantheon of guests on uh, for our show for for the prediction show. So I, I know our normal witticisms will have to cut to the chase here. Of course, we want you back for a little lengthier period of time. Can you give us a little quick snapshot of what's been going on in your world since we talked to you last? Uh, just uh. Just uh, the things that I've been doing for the last several years, which is trying to study reality and uh, see what it's all about and see where we're headed. Okay. uh, All right. And uh, also hosting the Sycamore 3 blog. uh, I just have a new post up. You do? Uh, Put one up today on the, the resurrection of the Constitution. You might enjoy reading that. Okay. Well, good. Well, I will look forward to reading that. Uh, I'm also going to look forward to hearing your predictions. But I want to very quickly go through. I went and took the time to review your predictions this time last year. And I don't, oh, I don't know. Did you go through them yourself? Are you aware of what you said last year? No. What What did I say last year? Did, well, I, did I knock them all out of the park or what? Well, you're going to see here. you got eight of them. Okay. I'm going to go through them quickly here. Um, number one, the U.S. police state will be going to the next level. And that will be the dominant feature of the year. I'd say that uh, one hit that one out of the park. A lot, of, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of key developments on that front, particularly even in legislation. Uh, the Tea Party Revolution is going to be known to be the shortest movement ever, and mostly over, at least the visible part of it. And actually, I I consider that one of your strongest correct ones. I, they were mar- remarking on TV today, Robert, how what little impact the Tea Party has had on this current primary season. So I think that was uh, that was a very prescient one. Uh, number three, don't expect any actions of significant from Congress. Uh, ding, ding, ding. I think that's uh, excellent. Basically, they've been known for their inaction and unpopularity. Um, you said maybe another war, at least rumors of war. Uh, and that would be predicated on how popular their idea is with the public. I guess assuming they'd be floating trial balloons of war. And I think you're toward the end of the end of the year. It's become more of a important kind of thing. Um, you said that number five that most people uh, will be seen to be children of the media, and uh, that's a, that's a hard one to measure. But I, I think that's exactly the case from my observation of this uh, primary season, as far as the talking points, like things like Ron Paul can't win. I don't know how many Christians have told me that because it was verbatim announced from the uh, television, 24-hour news. And, in fact, um, uh, the the candidate du jour that had the stage for the two or three weeks seems to be engineered by the media itself rather than vice versa. So I think those are two examples of where this is true. Um, number six, more citizens will disappear off U.S. streets. Uh, won't be the Christians just yet. Uh, we've got maybe a year or so of grace before that happens. I don't know if you want to comment on that. Uh, maybe some isolated cases of that. Um, the last two, more irrelevancy from politicians. Um, I'm assuming that they have less of an impact really on dealing with any of the problems in our lives. I think that's true. And then you, you lastly said that Christians will start losing privileges. 
um, but that, that they, in turn they will gain in boldness and in spiritual authority. So when the hammer starts coming down, they'll find you will actually empower them in the right kind of way. What, what's your take on your uh, track record last year? I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah? Uh, of course, I'm easily impressed sometimes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think one thing over the last seven years is that I always have had the least accurate predictions as Dr. Future of any of the guests. And I think that's still true this year. So I, w- I would give you a strong attaboy for that. <laughs> now, now that, what, how does that work of the statement? It's sort of like the statement on the other side of this card is false or something like that. <laughs> so that if you predict, if you predict that my predictions are going to be good, then yeah, you're doomed. Because your predictions are bad. Yeah. Mine, something like that. Yeah, I should have been Dr. Antonym, but a bit of better term for me. Okay, Robert, uh, that's enough for your past predictions. Now let's look at 2012. What do you have to share with us for your predictions for 2012? Well, I'm going to call uh, the year 2012 the year of the underworld. Of the underworld? Yep. Okay. I don't. I wasn't anticipating that word to come up this week on <laughs> I Future thought you might not be. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure there's a story behind that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, people might have uh, misunderstood, but uh, we have lost complete control of this government as a result of the National Defense Authorization Act that was passed back in December. Um, the Constitution is no longer considered operative as far as the bureaucracy is concerned. It's running our country right now. So uh, the underworld it considers itself, at least, legally and officially in charge of the operation. So what I see happening in uh, in uh, the year 2012, uh, I'm going to say um, I predict that the police state is going to get uh, measurably worse. I think we're going to see uh, provocations being done. We're going to see um, more SWAT team bust into schools and homes and churches. I think we're going to see uh, a lot more roadblocks on the road with the TSA. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, punk cops operating in this country pretty openly. Yeah. Um, as far as the warfare state is concerned, I think we're going to have to get uh, used to the fact that the war in Iraq is over and the war in Iraq is coming home. Wow. Yep. So there you go. The military-industrial complex uh, can only sell so many drones to the military to use in Pakistan, and they want to sell a lot of drones, and so they're going to start using drones on American people. And we're going to find ourselves in a surveillance state, and we're going to get a chance to see what we've dished out to uh, the Muslims and the Afghans. So we better buckle up and uh, get ready for some big hits. Wow. Well, uh, you know, one classic case in point of what you just said, I can remember many years ago in Future Quake when we had the um, story of the new pain ray weapon yeah. that was supposed to burn, you know, the water on your skin, and they said it's designed to disperse Iraqi crowds that were right. disruptive in Iraq. And I told people, I said, mark my words, you're going to see this thing on on, on uh, our shores 
for U.S. crowds before long. And it was about two years later, and I think it was during the the conventions, like in 2004, the Republican and Democrat, where those same weapons were out on the street. Right. And it was out on video, and they were showing those same weapons intended for the, quote, terrorists. Right. Suddenly you're being used against after, our protesters. They're going to go after Occupy people. They're going to go after yeah. students. Um, they're, they're going to go after uh, anybody that they don't happen to like. Yeah. For whatever reason. Uh, as far as the warfare state is concerned, um, these guys have got hundreds of billions of dollars invested in warfare, and we're going to see uh, warfare in 2012. I don't know whether they're going to have a war against Iran. I kind of think they will. Yeah. Uh, or whether it's going to be done elsewhere. But there's two things that the warfare state likes, and I think we're going to see one or both of them. One of the things that they like is covert action. They like to do things in the dark. They like targeted assassinations. They like taking out people at night. It's just part of their MO. Uh, yeah. They're not going to give that up. Second thing that they like is big explosions. They like shock and awe. Uh, if they can get both in the same year, they're going to go for it. Yeah. Uh, last year, uh, you know, all they had was Libya, and uh, that, that sucked up a little of their energy, but by <laughs> no means all of it. So mm-hmm. they're going to go for they're going to go for something semi-major this year if they can pull it off. Next thing I think I see is uh, the economic crisis is going to continue to deepen in this country. Just talk about the fact that the unemployment is easing. Uh, I'm not seeing it. Uh, where I live in Louisville, we're still hearing about people uh, getting laid off by small business. Things yeah. are not good. And uh, people are going to continue to hurt. Um I think uh, one of the things that's going to happen this year is uh, that's going to be kind of new. It's going to be an internet crisis. Internet. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think we're going to see the internet take a hit. Um, it could be a clumsy thing. It could just be ineptitude, uh, and we've got a big clunky system that's, that's more rickety than we realize. But I think what we're going to see really is that the powers of be, which is the underworld. They're going to move in two directions. I think that they're going to move towards censorship on one side, uh, where you're going to see some blogs disappear, you're going to see some miscommunication, the gosh, we're sorry stuff. Yeah. And uh, then we're going to see much more increasing propaganda. We're going to see uh, prosecution of WikiLeaks people. We're going to see... Um, uh, Excessive worry about uh, property rights for music and that sort of thing. That's going to be the excuse. And yep. we're just going to see blatant propaganda being uh, pumped out on the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going to see... Um, By the way, do you think you could yeah. see some terrorist events where they show, they sort of set up the Internet and some posts on there as a forum by which extremists sort of got fired up to do terrorist Things is another way to discredit the internet. Yeah, I think so. And you know, and the real problem is um, the the uh, underworld has already used the internet and other means to uh, to get their stuxnet worms out there mm-hmm. and to uh, and to subvert um, crucial 
crucial, uh, what do I want to say, industrial processes. Mm-hmm. And you start thinking about the use of the Internet for uh, industrial blackmail or um, actual cyber attacks of a, of a physically damaging nature. Yeah. Um, that that concerns me. Something's gonna something's gonna pop on that this year, I believe. Yep. Okay. Um, wow. I go ahead. No. Keep on. Yeah, well, I think um I think this is gonna be the year of the underworld and I see uh things happening on four levels. Um I think we're gonna see um crimi- just basic criminality increase. Um it's not going to be random violence in, well, I don't think it's going to be random violence in the cities. It's going to be plotted violence in the cities. Uh, we're going to be going back to the 1920s and 1930s. I think wow. we're going to have gangsters. We're going to have punks. We're going to have direct agents of the underworld agenda like we haven't seen in about 40 years. Now, um, all these tools that they have now for law enforcement to track every transaction everybody does, Right. Um, I would think that would inhibit that kind of behavior unless it was it done with the blessing it. of it. I think it will enhance it because you got the you got punks running uh, you got punks running the hen house. Okay, that's what I mean. It with their with their coordination basically. Yeah. Uh, being able to get access to that. Okay. You know, it's time to be honest. The drug war the drug wars have been an inside job since that they were invented. Yeah. Uh, the federal bureaucracy has been an inside job since it was invented. Uh, in fact, the the world press, the organized press uh, that that uh, operates under syndication and control and so forth, that's been an inside job for 150 years. Uh, so I see I see criminality, basic criminality. I see a um, problem on the on the level of bureaucratic evil. Uh, the Adolf Eichmann type of stuff, yeah. where uh, you have guys sitting behind desks that are making decisions, and in their minds they are technical, conceptual decisions, but in reality they are bloody, oppressive decisions. And and I see um, an increase in bureaucratic evil coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and simply. I've covered criminality, bureaucracy, the press. Uh, I, I also see deep evil, and I'll—I'm not sure exactly how I want to define that. I'm just going to leave that there for right now. So I think it's going to be real interesting from a bad point of view. Yeah. But I also think um, that um, if we call this the year of the underworld. I think we're also going to call it the year of disillusionment, and that can be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I think it's going to be a bad year for the church. Uh, I predict that you'll find um, that a major Christian ministry is going to lose its funding and it's going to disappear. Mm-hmm. And if I'm guessing, it's probably going to be a relatively good Christian ministry. Okay? Mm-hmm. That uh, mm-hmm. the funding is going to suddenly dry up and they're going to go down, uh, I would say beware of the Christian ministries that survive uh, and, and get unexpected funding and publicity. Uh, the 
because it's probably got a price tag to it. Yeah. I think there's going to be an increasing theological crisis in the church. Um, people have been committed, they have been wedded to the idea that God loves war, uh, God loves Caesar. Um, they've been wedded to this idea for a long, long time. And this is, this is coming unraveled, uh, but it's going to take some time. And uh, so this is going to be a bad year for the church in terms of, of the fact that you're going to have a lot of old folks that have sort of lost their way, um, and they're going to be majorly confused about it. Uh, however, the good news is, um, as people become disillusioned, you're going to see, I believe, we're going to see some major good things happen. Um, the, the church is going to, um, the church is going to see some fresh leadership because it's going to start, it's going to start paying attention, I think, to people who really are spiritually connected and are aware of what Jesus is really doing and uh, stop being uh, following their little party agendas. Uh, and that's going to be good. And, uh, any any candidates, you think? No, I don't know. I think I think these people are going to appear uh, just, they're just going to pop up. Okay. Uh, I, I wouldn't guess who they are at this time. I'm not sure anybody knows who they are yet. Because right. I think something else interesting is going to happen. I predict that sometime this year we're going to see some some top level political people switch sides. I predict hmm. that there's going to be one or two major people that we we on you know have considered part of the new world order or part of the bad guy group or whatever it is we want to call them. And they are going to switch sides. And I'm, I'm mm. going to say switch sides like Saul of Tarsus. Okay. okay. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to be of the eminence of Saul of Tarsus. Yeah. I'm not going to yeah. say that they're going to turn into St. Paul. But this has happened before. And, uh, I think this is a great year for it to happen again. And when that happens, I think people of goodwill need to receive them. And uh, not hold against them some obviously bad things that they've done in the past. Uh, understand these people are, are really are switching sides. When bad guys switch sides, you know you have to accept them yeah. um, the way they are. And uh, and these people, and and we're going to see a bunch of. I believe we're going to see a bunch of people in the bureaucracy are going to uh, come out of the closet. And they're gonna, and they're going to say, you know, there is something really going wrong in here. I think there's going to be a critical mass mm -hmm. in the federal bureaucracy. That include the military, uh, possibly the military, um, but but at the federal level, and, and you know, and also at the state level where they need it. But the yeah. federal bureaucracy needs a, a pretty good house cleaning. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to come out and say, you know, we have got serious problems in here. Uh, you know, they're going to join people that have been saying this for years, like Catherine Austin said. Mm -hmm. But uh, they're going to they're going to speak out, and we're going to see some good things happen. And when that when that occurs, we've got to be receptive. That's my personal feeling about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think um, 
I think uh, we're going to see um, people shifting their thinking. Right now, probably 90 to 95% of America that, uh, that is on the media drug is, is basically living a tabloid existence. Right. Um, they well have, said. They have a, they have an ethics that's based on on the tabloids, which is we we don't really mean what we say. Today we'll say X, and tomorrow we'll say not X, and we don't really believe in either. Mm-hmm. We don't really what the, believe that what the bad guys are doing is all that bad, and we don't really believe that good is all that good, and. Uh, we just keep people bouncing back and forth uh, like ping pong balls. But I think what's going to happen, it's already happening. I'm just really just extrapolating here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have an increasing percentage of people that uh, have more of a reality existence instead of a tabloid existence. Mm-hmm. And part of it is be- going to be because they have changed their inputs. Um they, they are going to walk away from the world press. Uh, they're going to start asking other people questions, and they're going to start asking themselves questions, and they're going to start finding answers, and that's going to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're taping this on Tuesday night. Um, gosh, you know, if Ron Paul got 20, over 20% of the votes in, uh, in Iowa, that's a significant number of people who get it, yeah. Uh, because you have to you have to really get it on a deep level to believe in you know to believe in a vote in Dr. Paul because he's right he's way out there on the edge unless you understand the truth of what the guy's saying. And when you get a, a high percentage like that, um, wow! And these are these are politically active people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's. That's interesting to me. Yeah, it's not um, like changing one flavor of Kool-Aid for another. It's like going to a stiff cup of coffee after yeah. swearing off Kool-Aid. Right. Yeah. Um, I think there are going to be some, um, um, some some threats on the electoral process while we're talking about the electoral process. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be an attack on the electoral process, and I think the people of goodwill need to stay away from that and avoid it. Um the weakness in any democracy is election and the fact that we have to communicate with each other. And the only way we can communicate in this country is through the press, basically. Uh, and so we're kind of at the mercy of what they tell us. Um, I think that it's possible that there's going to be a threat of high-level violence against elected leadership um i would be very afraid if it came from social or religious conservatives i would be very afraid if it was blamed on social or religious conservatives um i would be a little bit concerned if there's some kind of a justification for a military coup um i'm not Mm -hmm. saying that's going to happen i'm saying that that worries me yeah um I think um, a thing that concerns me also is um, the way we're covering up disasters. Uh, you know, most people have forgotten what happened at Fukushima 
last March. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really bad. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it is really, really bad. And you have to ask, uh, well, you have to ask why is this being covered up? I mean, that's, that's a good question. But let's move on. Um, this is really bad. Uh, this is a continuing disaster. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people's lives have been disrupted by this. Uh, the environment has been compromised. Uh, the oceans are being contaminated. Uh, and nobody's talking about it. Um, and mm-hmm. Which tells me that a couple of things. It tells me that the press... The press cannot handle strangeness. <laughs> and so um, I'm going to add that to my predictions of the year. I said that this is a year of the underworld. I would also say it is a year of disillusionment, but also refocusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also say it is a year of strangeness. And I think... Uh, I think we're going to see some strange, bad things. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think um, if the press gets its way, they're going to try to pull something off in 2012 uh, that matches all the 2012 expectations, uh, some kind of a global phenomenon. I don't know what it is. Now, who is uh, the they that would be doing it? I'm just going to call it the underworld, uh, okay. and whoever fits the description fits the description. Okay. The underworld is going to try to pull off some kind of, a, I think, a, a global or even a cosmic phenomenon, and hmm. uh, it's going to be strange and it's going to be hard to decipher. But I think on the balance side of that, I think that there are some good people who are who are realizing, and they're realizing it ahead of me, that uh, there is a lot of great stuff to be done. Um, there's a lot of activism to be done that's very uh, productive. It's very constructive. Uh, and I think they're going to be moving toward it. And I think you're actually going to see activism. The Internet is going to be important, but the Internet is simply going to be a meeting point uh, for activists. There will be a coordination of things, but we're going to see people being more than Internet active in this year. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. If I, could a, give, if I yeah. could give a, a piece of advice to the political parties, um, I don't think that they would take it. But uh, <laughs> if the Democrats want to um, make themselves relevant again, they will go back to their old original base, which is the common people, which is the working people, which is the ordinary people of this country. Unfortunately, the the Democratic Party as a whole got co-opted by the Marxists about 90 years ago. Yeah. And they've been trying this collective thing in the name of the people that actually just controls people. And uh, they, they really don't care about union workers or the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really manipulation. And if the Democrats can can get over their love of control and get back into actually standing for and serving the working people, they'll have relevance. Uh, the Republicans have a similar problem. The Republicans um, 
have been uh, the business and banking people, you know, and as long as they could persuade people that banking and business was actually improving the lifestyle of people and that we were creating wealth and sharing wealth, uh, the, re- the Republicans had some kind of social significance. But in the last very long time for the Republicans, uh, they have not seen banking or business as a way of social benefit. Uh, they have seen it as, you know, frankly, it's just been greed and control as far as the Republicans have been concerned. And uh, if they'll change their thinking and start moving toward business models that are worker and community-oriented, they may become relevant, but I don't Hmm. know if they will. Hmm. If I were going to talk to libertarians, uh, I would say the day of Anne Rand is over. Mm-hmm. Um, Anne right. Rand, she has she has virtues, and I and uh, I could talk about her virtues. Uh, she was good at trying to preach self-reliance. She was good at, at at trying to oppose Marxism in certain ways and excessive collectivism and so forth. But um, when the libertarians understand that uh, liberty is not simply to be uh, greedily clung to, but it is to be shared in a communitarian and non-elite way, then the libertarians will be relevant. Okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, this brings me back to the church. Uh, for too long, uh, the church has operated on the basis of certain self-appointed spokesmen who go out and tell all the rest of us what we're supposed to believe, why, how, and not too much. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the church for a long time has not been listening to its own people about their experiences, about what God is showing them, about what their aspirations are, and so forth. And uh, when the church starts listening to Christians, instead of uh, listening to whoever they're listening to, um, something good's going to happen in the church. So um, I look at the year 2012, and I see uh, three operative words. Uh, number one, it's going to be the year of the underworld. Um, number two, it's going to be a year of increasing disillusionment, uh, but refocusing. And number three, it's going to be a year of high strangeness. Um, wow. there, there are, I, I predict that things are going to be unpredictable. Hmm. There's, there's going to be high strangeness in the year 2012. So how about that? Wow, that's, that is comprehensive, I think is the right word for that. Well, this time next year, you know, when the world ends, and you know, yeah. we, we have this uh, annual program again, we can go back and see if... Uh, Huh. Where we were. <laughs> well, Robert, I want to thank you so much for putting all this together, and that was thought-provoking and very detailed. And I really appreciate that for a detailed set of evaluations on that. And um, time will tell this year, but you certainly yeah. gave us a lot to think about. Okay, we're back at Future Quake uh, with Tom Bionic. Yes, it Doctor is. Doctor Future and. Pyro. Tom Swamy. Yep. And Pyro. Pyro's joining us in the studio mm-hmm. here. Um, blue sweater on? Yeah. 
and so that's Robert Hyde. That was his uh, mm-hmm. thoughts and issues. He had an excellent track record um, last year for his predictions, and I think he's really talked about more of the same. But uh, our time is wasting, so I want to get into our next guest. And this is somebody who's been even longer since he's been with us. In fact, I think it's been a year since the last prediction show. Uh, mm-hmm. Someone we used to pick on a lot more when he wasn't so popular and a national figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to introduce our, our next uh, prognosticator for 2012, the one, the only Mike Shedlock, better known as Mish, of the Global Economic Analysis blog, who's going to come in and tell us what he sees economically uh, for 2012. So here's uh, our good friend Mish, and we'll be back to discuss it here on Future Quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. Uh, I'm coming to you for this segment of our uh, annual prediction show for Future Quake, uh, flying solo. Uh, our good friend uh, Tom Bionic, as we mentioned earlier, uh, had a call uh, at his uh, place of employment down at the rescue mission. He can't be with us, and I know he hates it because someone he deeply, deeply admires is joining uh, us right now, an old friend of our show, deeply beloved by many of our Futurian listeners, and that's the one, the only Mike Shedlock. Known to millions as Mish of the Global Economic Analysis blog. And Mish, I just want to thank you so much for coming back and joining us yet again on Future Quake. Always a pleasure to be on Future Quake with you, Dr. Future. A pleasure to be back. Well, you know, we've been on for seven years, and for almost all of those seven years, you've been with us, believe it or not. It goes back a long way, and, and your visits have been basically a, a history of our economy uh, over the the crisis states that we've been through, and I know we haven't seen anything yet, but if you go back and listen to our archive of of show at futurequake.com, you will see your progression and how you've been uncannily accurate uh, on every visit that you've had on our show in the past. We try not to have you on so much now and uh, try to save you for the prediction show because you've gone big time on us. And now you go to places like Coast to Coast with George Norrie and, and a lot of other uh, major citations like Wall Street Journal and things like this. And I just want to thank you on behalf of all of our Futurian listeners for you taking time to come back with us even once a year on the Future Quake show. Oh, heck, I'd be uh, willing to come on more often than not. So uh, just give me a jingle anytime you want me to come on. Well, that's the mish that we've always known and loved. Uh, you are the James Brown of the Internet. You're the hardest working man I know. Uh, that puts more time, more post, more detailed analysis for free for a grateful public. And uh, as we've told you many times before on our show, uh, both Tom and I are absolutely addicted to your blog, and we found out many of our guests are too. Uh, you are sort of a common denominator, a, a common framework of economic uh, understanding that we all deal from. And so I tell you, that's a very... Uh, a very important and grave task that you have for all of us powerful figures is basically discipling us on these matters. Well, I do my best. Uh, some years are better than others. I had a very good uh, year here in, in terms of predictions for this last year, 2010. I didn't do so uh, so good at, but I did pretty good for 2011. And um, no one is always going to be perfect, but um, I did, I'm very pleased with the job I did uh, last year. You are the closest that comes to perfect, though, in my book, and you're absolutely right. I went back and did a rehearsal and a review of your predictions last year. Would you like me to mention a couple of them briefly, or would you? Um, I can take a shot at it. I've got the post up in front of me now. Oh, oh. Uh, 
Okay. I, I started off with a miss. I, I uh, said that U- U.S. municipal bank bankruptcies would head to the center stage. You know, in a way they did. Um, there's certainly problems in Detroit. Uh, right. It's coming up right now. Harrisburg actually declared bankruptcy, but that wasn't the intent of my post. The intent of my post was that it would matter to the municipal bond market, which it didn't. So I, I could probably claim a somewhat of a victory there, but I'm just going to call that a miss. But uh, as some of these, I had some pretty knockout punches here. Uh, I said the sovereign debt crisis would hit Europe. And I said the surprise play in Europe will be Italy, a country not on anyone's front burner. Mm-hmm. Italy will come under intense credit marker pressure, and when it does, the whole eurozone comes unglued. So I think that's a pretty good call right there. Can you say. can you imagine that that you made that call? The words that I that I wrote down that you said was Europe was hanging by a thread, was was the term you used on air. And I think this is something you need to note actually on your blog site was your prediction from back then. I bet you very few other economic pontificators uh, hit that back last December. I don't think anyone caught Italy. In fact, I, I did a post early in January where I said that Italy was the invisible elephant in the room. And uh, it was like eight months later, some people in uh, mainstream media finally got around to calling Italy again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the invisible elephant. I was eight mu- six to eight months ahead of other people. My number three prediction would be there there would be cutbacks in U.S. cities and states. Certainly we've seen that. Yep. We've seen falling uh, government employment. Uh, I think that's a good thing. I said that public unions would come under intense attack. Well, they certainly did. Just take one look at what happened in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. They came under attack, not only in the U.S., I said, but globally. And certainly we're seeing that in Italy. We're seeing that in Greece. We're seeing that in Spain right now. Uh, I said that China would overheat right. and multiple rate hikes are coming. Ding, ding, ding. Both of those happen. I think China's heading for a hard landing, and that's something that I that I said last year. I said here's a half one uh, uh, wrong, half right. I said that uh, property bubbles would burst wide open in Australia and Canada. Had not so in Canada, but the uh, the bubble in Australia indeed has burst wide open here. Uh, I said the U.S. would avoid a double dip. Actually, this one surprised me because I didn't remember yeah. saying this. But I said that tax cuts and extensions to payroll tax cuts would keep the U.S. out of recession. However, the growth estimates were too high. And look for GDP to come in at 2 to 2.5%. That's the stall rate. That is exactly what happened. So I'm kind of pleased with that one. My number eight prediction was the year that something matters for the global equity markets. This was the year that something matters. Nothing mattered in 2010, but I, I didn't have any targets for this uh, suggestion other than to say that it was an extremely poor time to invest in darn near anything. And I'm really proud of this next one where I called number my number nine call was for decoupling in reverse. I don't think that any country. Countries decouple in 2011, including China, and you look at their stock market, it's, it's down horrendous. The Euro, Europe is a basket case. China is overheating. Australia is headed for recession. The UK is going nowhere. And so the, the, the 2% growth in the US just might look darn good compared to anything else. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what happened. So I'm, I'm kind of thrilled with this, with this post. The US, the US stock market was, was, is about flat on the year right now. Many major markets are down anywhere between 15 and uh, 30 percent. 
Mm-hmm. Um, my, my last call, my number 10 pick, was for the U.S. dollar to strengthen. Well, it didn't strengthen, but it didn't collapse. It held its own. In fact, if you, I just, I just looked right before we came on the show. You don't want to state anything that's inaccurate here. The U.S. dollar index is a, a right about where it was at the beginning of last year, but most people expected the U.S. dollar to collapse. I mm-hmm. didn't, but I'm going to call that one half right. And so, um, I will say I got eight out of ten by my measure here. Mm-hmm. And if you'd gotten half of those, you, you should have made the cover of Money Magazine. Uh, our 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 fortune our Forbes. Uh, 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 about six out of ten would probably be the best that that most anyone in the mainstream yeah. media did, and certainly I don't think anyone was 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 putting a spotlight on Italy like I did. I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that. I'm pretty pleased, very pleased with decoupling in reverse. So a couple of my predictions were actually home runs, yeah. as opposed to just saying well eight out of ten. Well, you, you you went through the entire list that I noted as well, too. The only other thing I had was that I understood you to say that there would be inflation woes in China. Yes, and there were. I, I did right. say that. I said that on the show. I didn't say that on the on the uh, post. And yeah. certainly we have seen the inflation woes. Yeah. In my post, I said, look for multiple hikes in China. Well, why would they hike? They would hike because of inflation. Well, now that you have everybody's respect, even our new listeners now, with your track record, which is rare for people to find for financial advisors, um, what are you looking at for 2012? Uh, what think, are similar scenarios? I think that we're looking for more of the same. I, I think we're going to see the sovereign debt crisis continue to play out in Europe. I think we're likely to see uh, Greece do a hard default. Uh, I think that we're going to see Portugal get put in the same boat. Uh, we're going to see even more cracks than what we've seen here in in Europe. This whole treaty is going to fly apart. Uh, I think the U.S. is likely to skirt with a flirt with a recession here in in, in the first half of the year. So uh, I think public unions are going to continue to be under uh, pretty severe attack. I'm just looking, uh, the Australia property bubble is going to get worse. Um, something's going to matter again in uh, 2012. I think decoupling in reverse ends and the United States stock market heads down. So, um, And I'm still looking for the U.S. dollar to strengthen. So a lot of what I said um, for last year still applies. I will have a lot more people agreeing with me now, however. Mm-hmm. I, I call these things in advance. What about inflation forecast, uh, CPI for the United States in an upcoming year? Any kind of forecast on that? I don't think. I think uh, we're going to see, uh, you know, I'm a deflationist. I don't think prices are going to get out of hand, not not this year, um, not for a number of years. We're still having credit stress in the United States. We're having credit stress in Europe. Uh, that's going to hold down um, long-term uh, bond rates. So I, I don't think the inflation genie is is coming, oh, my gosh, out of the bottle for maybe three years, maybe even more. So, you, you know, we'll see. It really all depends on, on what central bankers do and how they react to some of these crises if uh, – if everyone, if all these central bankers start printing in a massive way, actually, if the United States starts printing in a massive way and other countries don't, that uh, would perhaps 
bring the inflation genie out of the bottle here in the United States. But the way I look at it, they're all probably going to react in union. They're all going to uh, start printing money. And if they all do it to the same relative degree, we're not going to see this you know, massive inflation that everyone expects. However, if, the, if, if we see a QE3 in the United States, if we see printing in China, if we see uh, uh, loosening of uh, lending standards by the, by the ECB, I think it would be very supportive of, of gold. I don't have a price target on gold, but um, I, I think that, that gold is going to be another asset that's going to hold up well. Hmm. Okay. Uh, now, as far as uh, I, I presume by you, by you mean staying fairly steady that we'd have inflation significantly south of 5%, I guess. Oh, my gosh. We're not going to see 5% for years. Yeah. The, the I'm saying significantly south of 3%, probably yeah. south of 2%. You know, it wouldn't wow. surprise me in the least if we get a strong pullback in oil to to see it head back to 0%. Which, I, which I, that I, and food, I, I guess, are the main drivers in the CPI lot. Yes, uh, uh, food and energy are the main drivers, but, you know, the irony is the, the, you know, the Fed and the economists, you know, discount those and prefer to look at the core, you know, mm -hmm. the, the core CPI, you know, it, it's nonsense. You know, a lot of people are looking at the PPI and say, oh, my God, you know, look, and, and it's also one-sided. It, it's so funny, Dr. Future, you know, they, they look at the PPI when it's rising and they say, my mm -hmm. God, look at this inflation. And I'm saying, well, you know, where's the pass-through? Yeah. And this year we've actually seen pass-through. I'm the one that does the um, food buying. I'm the one that does the grocery shopping mm -hmm. for our house. And I did see rises for the first time in a number of years. Uh, I buy items on sale, and, I, and, I, and my advice to people is go out and get a freezer, you know, mm -hmm. buy meat when it's on sale, you know, buy steaks on sale and freeze them, buy chicken on sale when, when, and freeze it. You know, buy, you know, whatever you use the most of that's the most expensive. Buy that stuff on sale because sale prices have not, until this last year, I don't think have gone up for 10 years. Hmm. The, the, um, and I used to work in grocery stores and I actually know what, what sale prices of goods were back in 1971. I'm giving away my right. age here. Uh, but uh, I, I worked in grocery stores when I was in high school and in the first uh, couple of years of junior college. And you know, the price of chicken on sale was something like 21 cents a pound. Uh, that was a lost leader back then. So you can still find it on sale six, seven months ago for maybe you know 60 cents a pound or 69 cents a pound. That's Relatively speaking, I mean, you look at yeah. the price of education, sure, of medical, or the price right. of gasoline. You know, the right. food has remained a relative bargain. Yet people see those prices rise, and they remember every penny. You know, when, sure. when the food prices go up, they, you know, they forget the times that it drops, and they forget being able to buy stuff on sale. Non-sale prices, I will freely admit, have gone up way more than sale prices. But what's the solution here? Get yourself a freezer. Do something good for your family. Buy a freezer. Buy the stuff when it's on sale and freeze it. Learn how to wrap it in freezer paper. Learn how to store your food. And this stuff will keep for a year if you store food properly. That's my hint for 2012.
You know, you, your ideology, I don't know who has the most consistent one, you or Ron Paul. Both of yours go back decades in terms of singing the same message over and over again and staying consistent with it. Because uh, you, you have told us that, I don't know how long uh, you have, but it, it's good for people to know if, if they're playing with the stock market, it's one thing to try to... Uh, you know, buy low and sell high and try to game the system. But what we do in the supermarket is just as important, if not more, than what we do on Wall Street. Well, I would tell people if they're having financial difficulties, they should not be in the stock market. Mm-hmm. The, the You know, people ask me all the time, should I buy gold? Should I buy this? Should I buy that? And the first thing I ask them is, do you have a year's worth of living expenses saved up on the side in cash? You know, right. And if they say no, then I say, well, you ought not be investing. Because people still, Dr. Fusion, they still need to prepare for the loss of a job, the loss of a spouse's job, or, you know, some other crisis, or just a point out and out salary cut. I mean, we are not through this crisis yet by any means. And, uh, you know, people need to be prepared to take care of their families before they start thinking about, you know, how am I going to make money? You know, look at the stock market. Yeah, I mean, if if someone was a day trader, they could have made a lot of money this year. But if someone just invested in the S&P, they were flat on the entire year. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and they probably, if, you know, if they tried to ride some of this stuff out, they probably panicked out low and, you know, they probably bought high and sold low and, and it's just a mess. And outside the United States, no matter what they did, you lost money. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you know, maybe if your timing was good in gold or energy, you did well. But, but you know, the, the whole market here, I don't think we're at a, at, a, at a stock market bottom where we can buy and hold and most people can't trade. And unless you're hedging, which not most a lot of people can't do, so this you know the simple solution is to just you know put you know ten or twenty percent of your money in gold and and take the rest of the cash out of the market and say you know what I don't need to be in this market I'm going to wait for better times I'm going to wait for better opportunities. A lot of this has to do, Doctor Future. People need to be more patient. Patience mm-hmm. is a virtue, and that's something. You know, I don't have enough of in my private life, but I can relay the importance to it of you and to the listeners. If you're patient, you can rely on singles to get your runs. You don't have to hit a home run with everyone. Oh, that's exactly correct. That is exactly correct. You you, you start swinging for the fences. Well, maybe you hit one, but if you if you miss three or four or five times in a row, all of a sudden, you know, where are you? You're right. you're, you're in trouble. Even the pros miss those, much less others. You know, one prediction I didn't hear you say was that the leaders in Europe are going to recognize the, the, the dire straits that they're in and, and uniformly uh, adopt uh, austerity measures in each of their countries and tie back their, their spending uh, and their benefits and get their financial house in order individually. I, I noticed that was missing from your prediction. You don't think they're going to... Uh, you know, catch wind of that and be able to get their heads straight on that end? Oh, no, no, on the contrary, Dr. Future, on the contrary. the uh, uh, I think we're going to see uh, French President Sarkozy be ousted. I think we're going to see Chancellor Merkel ousted. Uh, we've already seen regimes fall in 
uh, Greece and Portugal and Spain. And uh, so I think we're going to have completely different governments. I mean, just look at the situation, the political situation here in France. Sarkozy is going to be gone. And uh, but he's the guy most likely to replace him. I know his first name, his last name is Holland, H-O-L-A-N-D-E. And uh, he is running on a platform that says he's going to make this Eurozone. He wants to renegotiate this treaty that that, that Sarkozy and Merkel just came up with. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? Actually, my Mm -hmm. prediction is, and I've said this numerous times recently on my blog, thank you for reminding it, is that one of these political leaders in one of these countries is going to stand up, wave a copy of this ECB treaty, and declare the whole damn thing null and void, and they're going to say, you know, we're going to default on our debts. You know, the person, there's going to be a person come by and say just that, mm-hmm. and that person's going to be elected. It's yeah. just a matter of time. Now, it's like more likely to happen, it's going to happen first, I think, in Greece and in Portugal. I need to remember to put that in in uh, my prediction for 2012 because sure. that I think is going to happen. Well, a Sarkozy opponent better be careful that he's not set up in a hotel room. Uh, that tends to happen when you oppose him. <laughs> so, um, d- does it look like Cameron and the UK is going to come out smelling okay in this for being the first one to walk away from the table? I don't think Cameron's got his head on straight, actually. Um, okay. he's, it's only partially on straight. He's he's done some things, but only begrudgingly. I half expected him to cave in, but the uh, proposal for Merkel and Sarkozy was so outlandish that that he that he he couldn't go along with it. And now he's finagling around. He's saying, well, you know the. Uh, Europe, the UK is committed to all of this, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think Europe, UK, and Cameron ought to put this to the voters of the UK. Let them decide whether they want, want to be in the EU at all. I don't think, yeah. I don't think the UK gets anything out of this. But, uh, and, and I don't know what his, uh, odds of re-election or when the next election is, because the, the elections in, uh, main Europe are gonna come first. We're gonna see those elections in, in, uh, France, it's a two-stage election, I think culminating in April or May. And, uh, uh, so we need to see the results of that. But one thing that we have seen is, uh, Sarkozy and Cameron are, are getting into an open feud on whose, you know, debt rating ought to be cut first. This is really unheard of to see these kinds of feuds pointing the finger. Well, I think the UK is in worse shape than we are. The S&P and Moody's and Fitch ought to downgrade the UK. Mm-hmm. I, my gosh, that's, that's, this is unheard of bickering. And it just tells you, if they're bickering like this in public, you know, just think about how bad it is behind the scenes. But it, as you said, something that appears they agree on is not letting, letting these decisions go before the little people. Uh, they tend, none of them like elections. And uh, that's, not, that's not any different in our country when you've got Federal Reserve types and you've got Council on Foreign Relations type. Nobody has any kind of faith in the average people on these decisions. Uh, they're all aristocrats uh, in their own way. Uh, in, in closing here, is there anything else that we need to look for uniquely 
in 2012 that we didn't see in 2011? Uh, some kind of black swan event or a scandal, for example, anything like that that you anticipate we'll probably come across? Well, I, I'm a firm believer that the watch pot is often the one that doesn't boil. Yeah. So the and right now, not a lot of people are looking. Everyone's looking at Greece. So, but I think Greece is really just a matter of time, and I think people have resigned themselves to that rather than fearing it. But I, I think we're going to see something in Portugal here. You know, the bond market in Portugal suggests that that it is going to blow up next. And I'm not seeing a lot of people talking about that. I'm just starting to see what kind of ramifications uh, that that has on the Eurozone. But, you know, once a couple of nations crack and we see this invincibility that Draghi, Mario Draghi, that's the new ECB president, thinks, you know, the the Eurozone is is not going to fall apart. And once Merkel and Sarkozy fall by the wayside, the, the real fireworks in Europe start, but the timing and how that plays out—that's you know, the uncertainty, and and uh, that I can't even predict. But oh, one more prediction: I, I think we, we we are going to see finally, and I've got a post coming out uh, possibly in a few days or maybe even tonight on Japan. I think that something's going to matter in Japan next year, and not a lot of people uh, uh, have their focus on Japan at all. Their their uh, debt is um, uh, over 200% of GDP, highest in the G7, and uh, their exports are declining right now. That makes for a very, very difficult time for Japan to fund its national debt and look for Japan this is my new prediction for, okay. for 2012. Look for Japan to move into the spotlight. Okay. And not for an earthquake this time. <laughs> not for an earthquake. Hey, wait, one last question on the subject matter. A, a, a black swan event that may be looking over our shoulder is, is a possible war in the Middle East. Uh, how could that percolate into economic impact if that occurs? If the U.S. foolishly attacks Iran... Um, I think oil prices might hit 150, 200 bucks. Uh, it will cause a collapse in global trade. And speaking of a collapse in global trade, that's another thing to look for in uh, 2012. At the end of it, particularly, depending on who wins the next election, uh, Mitt Romney has run on a platform that he would declare China to be a currency manipulator if he's elected, and if he poses huge tariffs on China, which is what he claims he's going to do, uh, if he manages to do that, we are going to have an out-and-out disaster in 2013. This is looking one more year ahead, depending on the outcome of the 2012 election. So we need to watch that. We need to look at how the, how the politics play out. That'll be something later in the year. And, uh, but a, a Mitt Romney election would be an out and out disaster in terms of a Smoot Hawley tariff type situation that we saw in the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. That would come up at the end of 2012 or in, uh, uh, in 2013 as soon as the U.S. gets into a trade war with China. 
That's another thing to watch for. Another, you know, we can call these, they're not really black swans because Dr. Future, you and I can see these things and discuss them rationally, but they're going to be black swans to the mainstream media who's not considering these possibilities. Sure. Well, uh, I still cling to a dream that by the conclusion of 2012 that, uh, Mike Shedlock will be announced as the new Secretary of Treasury in the Paul (laughs) administration, but, you know, we can all we can all dream for that. How can our listeners um, go to your blog and learn the kind of stuff that Tom Bionic and I learn every day from your site as well as our other guests? And how, if they need financial assistance with their retirement accounts or other money, how can they go to Sitka Pacific and possibly even get assistance from you or others that you recommend uh, in, in that area? Well, the easy way to find me, I've got a blog. I'll give you the long way first. It's called globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. I'll say that again slower, globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. But the easy way to find me is just do a Google search for MISH, M-I-S-H. It just happens to be the first two characters of my first and last name, Mike Shedlock. So do a Google search for MISH. There's a way to contact me on that. You can send me questions. I uh, have a tendency to answer Probably more emails than anyone in the industry does. Mm-hmm. You, you are the most generous person I know in that respect. Is there a possibility if they've got a pretty good cash cow, but they want somebody responsible uh, handling their money, that they can come to you through Sitka Pacific and get financial assistance? Well, sure. I mean, you know, bear in mind we're not day traders. We're not. We are looking to miss the next big decline. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking to do something a little bit different than others do. We uh, uh, are looking for prudent investments. We've actually underperformed this year. Uh, the, the stock, you know, we're essentially flat, maybe down a couple of percent, which is about what the stock market did. But, you know, our management style is to look to avoid big drawdowns, to miss the next big decline. And if you manage money, prudently and miss the big declines that the gains will take care of themselves and uh that's we have a track record quite uh, that i'm proud of and if someone wants to inquire with with me about that then just send me an email and and i will respond with um a bit of peace on our investment philosophy and how we do business Okay. Well, uh, almost all of our guests on Future Quake, by nature, are very, very sacrificial people that believe in what they're doing, and they give of themselves to help others. But I can't think of anybody who represents that to the extreme other than you. Uh, I don't know how you find the hours in the day to do all the posts, all the analysis you do, all the responses to people, even in in the fascinating chat room uh, area that you have on your blog as well, too. Uh, I know you're dealing with so many different things on so many fronts that others don't even know. Um, and I would just ask for everyone to express your gratitude to Mish and just say a word to him in your prayers and, and gratitude to God, particularly this Christmas season now, because uh, you've certainly been the example of giving to other people. Uh, in society and have made a tangible impact. I have, I don't know how many people I can tell you, Mitch, that have emailed me and said that you saved their retirement account, that they took your advice and saved it from oblivion, that they would have lost their shirt. That totally affects their entire family, the well-being of their children later, and, and, and I hope that you're aware of that, the kind of impact that you have on other people. 
Well, um, it's it's always uh, a pleasure, and it's somewhat humbling to hear some of those kinds of comments. Um, but it's also a pleasure to be on the show with you, Doctor Future, and I appreciate this opportunity. Well, the the pleasure was all, all ours, and I just want to thank you again so much for joining us here at Future Quake. Uh, I will catch you again, and don't make it a year next time. Okay, well, we'll do. Well, it was uncanny, Misha's. Uh... Uh, correction. He he got basically, I think, eight out of ten of his uh, mm-hmm. predictions correct, including his estimate of the GDP. I believe it was like two and a half percent. Got it right on the button. He also predicted. He's amazing. He predicted a year ago that the big surprise was going to be Italy, and that Italy was going to cause the big problem with the EU. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty freaky. Yeah, I, I would suggest he might even be a warlock with this kind of capability. It's mm-hmm. not human. Uh, to do that, but it sure makes for good reading on his website. Yeah, to find out what he knows and what what he can do uh, regarding that, and recommend everybody go there like you and I both do mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Even a lot of our guests go over to his blog. Uh, our next guest is somebody else who is uh, a very dear friend of ours on the show, uh, and someone who really is a heart and conscious that has had a big impact on us. And we are talking about. Uh, the editor of the Pro Libertati blog, Will Grigg, who is going to share with us some of his views on what's going to happen in the United States this next year. I'm assuming a lot of it's not going to be very good because uh, he's sort of like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He he shows the excesses of the state mm-hmm. uh, affecting the in, downtrodden, the people in, that in the church great forgets. Detail. Yeah. yeah, the people that the church is nowhere to be found or to reach out to. But he is there. And he's going to share with us, and of course you'll get some incredible wit and uh, just insights of uh, discussion and and thoughts. So uh, here we are with our good friend Will Grigg to give us his predictions for 2012, and then we'll be right back here at Future Quake. Welcome back to the Future Quake show. This is Dr. Future with... And Swami Bionicus. Oh boy, the same old Swami. We've got the big hat on and the... We got the little crystal ball over there. It says yeah, Future we, Quake in it. We have a uh, our guests will appreciate this. We we have a Future Quake crystal ball here for our annual prediction show. Yeah. It has the Future Quake uh, logo inside, and on the other side, our uh, our verse of our show you might recognize. It says the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are wax rich, and for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Revelation eighteen three and twenty three. And, you know, there's probably only one guest that could appreciate the beauty of that verse, and that is our guest tonight, Mr. Will Grigg of the Pro Libertate blog. And I want to welcome you, uh, Will, back to our Future Quake family. Gentlemen, thank you so much. It's always an honor to be with you. You know, you might want to cover up your association with us like a lot of the political candidates have been doing this yeah. season. It's pretty much a surefire way to it guarantees rendition in our new right. in our post NDAA <laughs> well, world, you know. I just figure we're sort of official skeletons in the closet of Will Grigg. <laughs> that are career limited. Or perhaps career it limited. the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> I heard having no political and Having no political ambitions of my own, I'm free to associate with whomever I please. Well, that's pretty convenient. I can't think of better company than the company I'm keeping right now. Wow, thank you, brother. I did hear Herman Cain on TV say, well, thank goodness they didn't find out about my future Quake Association. (laughs) (laughs) They've definitely been sunk. 
Um, it's again, it's been way too long since we've had you on our show. Everybody loves you on Future Quake when you're on, and and since that period of time, uh, just real quickly, can you can you give us a little quick update? Uh, there have been some developments in your life, both with Radio Liberty. Uh, which I never miss when you're on every Friday on Radio Liberty and your involvement there and also in a, in a magazine, just for two that come to mind. Can you, can you give us an update on some of these developments? Certainly. Radio Liberty, as you know, is the enterprise that the redoubtable Dr. Stan Monteith has been carrying on for a number of decades now. And he's mm-hmm. filled up with years that pressed down and flowing over with wisdom. And as a result of the fact that he's on the wrong side, or depending upon one's perspective with respect to eternity up the mm-hmm. right side of his 80th birthday, he's delegated to me the task of writing a newsletter for his ministry, the Radio Liberty Ministry. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to get to the point now where we're caught up chronologically with the number of installments of that newsletter that are available to the friends of Radio Liberty and the subscribers. And hopefully by the end of the week we'll be back to parity as far as the calendar is concerned. Hopefully by the end of this week we'll be able mm-hmm. to get the January newsletter done and we'll be at least caught up in terms of being on the right page on the calendar. But that's okay. something I've been doing now for a number of months. And okay. I understand how serious this uh, stewardship is on account of Dr. Stan's well-established and, and very well-earned reputation and stature that he's mm-hmm. achieved among people who love liberty and the Constitution and America's Christian heritage. And so I try to approach it from the perspective of somebody who's been tutored by Dr. Stan with respect to the permanent things. Mm-hmm. The other thing that's happening is that largely going to my association with Dr. Stan once again, I'm now working with Republic Magazine, which is going to be bi-monthly this year. It's been published with somewhat austere irregularity for about a year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And as is the case with many other largely ambitious but small-staffed undertakings, it was necessary to bring in somebody like myself with some experience in publishing a fortnightly to try to bring some order to the production of this magazine. And it's <laughs> Did I mention a very small-staffed magazine yeah. with a very <laughs> limited budget? But we are trying to cover the visible horizon with respect to everything that one can imagine in terms of individual liberty-oriented issues. And so mm-hmm. we have vast ambitions and very modest resources, but your listeners should check out the website, republicmagazine.com. It's very easy to remember. Okay. I curate, I guess that's now the current term of our the blog, the, the news section of the website for republicmagazine.com. I'm also acting as the managing editor for the physical magazine. And its sister publication, Survivalist, can be accessed by going to the Republic Magazine website as well. Okay. All righty. That, that sounds wonderful. Uh, now, is it a, uh, a Operation Mockingbird organ? Is it an NECIA oh, connection? It is the polar opposite of an Operation Mockingbird operation. Okay. If I were somehow involved with Operation Mockingbird, then I would be ethically poor but financially rich instead of the other way around. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's what they want us to believe. Um, now, yeah. and, I, and it's wonderful your association with Dr. Stan as well, too. Um, I make sure I catch it every Friday. Uh, you and Dr. Cuddy are the two shows I try to catch. Put them in my MP3 player when I exercise or when I'm when I'm driving to Louisville or something like that. And uh, Dr. Stan definitely is redoubtable because I never have doubted him in anything Doubt that he said. So <laughs> that, that proves that, it. That proves um, it. 
let's move on to what you're here for, uh, for our annual uh, prediction show, of which you have been here for many of them. Um, you can call it predictions. You can call it forecast, what you will. But we want to know what you're looking at for uh, 2012. What do you expect to see? We previously talked about trend lines that have materialized in the last couple of years with respect to the unfolding financial crisis, which is by no means in abeyance. Just this afternoon, I was listening to some retail outlet for the wholesale power elite establishment telling us that in the state of Idaho, which is where I reside with my family, that jobless insurance claims had peaked and then tapered off last year as Idaho supposedly spilled out of what was described as the most serious recession uh, since the end of the Great Depression, as if the recession were over. Of course, you could say that it's over in the sense that it has now ripened into a full-blown depression, and the anesthetics and palliatives which are being administered to disguise the symptoms here are going to wear off this year with a vengeance. I think that no later than perhaps the second quarter of this year, we're going to see another wave of social unrest. Some of it, not all of it, but some of it will be organized in the result of liberate provocations by people who are trying to bring about a, a revolutionary state of affairs. But a great deal of it is going to be the irrepressible outrage of people who will realize just how thoroughly we have been plundered by an elite that is completely beyond accountability and completely devoid of scruple. That explains, that sentiment, that realization explains a great deal of what's happened with the Occupy movement. Mm -hmm. Some element of the Occupy movement is composed of professional agitators who are following an ideological script. But the large-scale, inchoate outrage that has fueled it is genuine, and it manifests itself not merely on the leftward fringe of the spectrum, but also among people who are young and idealistic, uh, college students who realize to their horror that they find themselves with literally no prospects and buried beneath debt that they cannot discharge through bankruptcy and are understandably infuriated by the fact that the politically connected investment houses and people who are, if you will, remoras on, their, on those large shark-like creatures uh, are completely free to do as they please to anybody they choose and do so at considerable expense in terms of receiving direct subsidies from the government and indirect subsidies through loans which are made by the Federal Reserve and the banking system. So this is something that's going to be a major trend this year, not only in Europe and the Middle East and elsewhere, but here in the United States. I think that Occupy was sort of, if you will, the grace note to this symphony of upheaval that's going to be heard throughout the year 2012, which is going to make a really interesting election cycle. Hmm. Okay. Um, you know, let me ask you something related to this, since you brought up the election cycle that we're right in the middle of. Um, we we have all noticed the tremendous fight by the Republican establishment against the candidacy of Ron Paul, where they've yeah. made that he's enemy number one. It's a John Dillinger, uh, and the Dirty Tricks campaign is coming out in force. They're admitting it now uh, to to take him out. Um, why do they not realize and look at the numbers and see that virtually everyone 35 and under supports him and that if they banish him from a leading role or, or someone in his heels after him, that they basically banish themselves to a backseat role in influencing America? 
and, and certainly out of office if they if they banish an entire generation. W- what is going on? I, I see the Republican Party at a crossroads and certainly the religious right uh, at a point of complete irrelevancy. Is would would you see this the same way? I think that the focus here on the part of the party bosses in the Republican leadership, that is to say that clique that controls one faction of the one-party state, the, the right-wing mm-hmm. of right. the, the single bird of prey, to use Sam Francis's appropriate <laughs> image here. I think that they are scared witless of the fact that Ron Paul polls so well and has such obvious influence on the 35 and younger contingent. And I think that their desire is to do whatever they can to domesticate or neutralize that contingent because it's not a group of people who have been properly acculturated through all these intermediate organs, these gatekeeping institutions that are meant to to winnow out or to normalize independence and individualist thinking. And I think that this might be the year where the Republican Party actually takes a dive at the behest of its leadership rather than allowing somebody who could win the election in November to prevail. We saw that same sort of thing happen after fashion 1952 when the nomination was stolen from Robert Taft. And fortunately for the Republican Party bosses, the ancestors of the neocons, the first generation of Trotskyite, a dissident communist who really took over the Republican Party with the help of the CIA in the 1950s. In 1952, they had a lot of Democrat that they could make their nominee, and his name was Dwight Eisenhower. He was a lifelong Democrat. He had absolutely nothing to do with the conservative movement at the time, which was much more Ron Paulian in its nature under Taft when you had people like Frank Chodorov and others of that kidney who were the leading voices of conservatism. They were non-interventionists. They understood that you had to keep government on a very, very short leash, and to the extent that government had any justification for existing, it existed solely to protect person and property. That was something that was done away with as the dominant voice in the Republican Party, thanks to the Eisenhower coup, where Wall Street basically stole the nomination from Robert Taft and gave it to this lifelong Democrat. It's interesting, just 11, uh, 12 years earlier, uh, Wendell Wilkie, who was a lifelong Democrat, was chosen by the Republican Party, to be the standard bearer. Actually, he wasn't chosen by the Republican Party. He was chosen by the FDR White House with the help of British intelligence to be the Republican standard bearer for the purpose of throwing the nomination, throwing the election, rather. And so I think that's a case where you didn't necessarily have the Republican Party leadership choose the patsy that, that threw the election. I think this is something that was chosen for the Republican Party leadership. This year, you might have a case where the Republican Party leadership actually, uh, they wouldn't fall on their swords. They have the type of <laughs> chivalry or, or, honor, or honor that would lead them to undertake that type of gesture. But they would be willing to, to throw the election uh, if necessary in order to prevent Ron Paul from winning. I mean, you've actually heard Duke Gingrich say so in so many words that it would be very difficult for him to vote uh, for Ron Paul and he'd be powerfully tempted to vote for Obama if Ron Paul were the nominee of the Republican Party. And this followed about two weeks' worth of execration of Ron Paul because he refused to say that he would support a delegate of the War Party as the GOP nominee. And suddenly you have people like Gingrich and Romney and even John Huntsman, who struck me as being mm-hmm. at least somewhat independent-minded, notwithstanding his pedigree, as saying some of the things about Ron Paul. So mm-hmm. I think that what's happened here is that they're doing everything they possibly can to prevent the Republican Party from becoming 
the type of institution that would be receptive to the young, idealistic, liberty-minded people whom Ron Paul is attracting in droves. You know, it seems like that, that it would be one thing to say we're, we're going to throw a single election to put this movement to bed, but this seems to be the future. The, mm-hmm. the, the young generation, it doesn't look like a fad of four years. Uh, it started the last election. It's grown by leaps and bounds right now. And it, it seems to be the future. And it looks like to me that they're kissing off their very future by, by, by ignoring it or disenfranchising it. You're dealing here with people who are creatures of, of high time preference. So that's the first thing that leads me to suggest that they might be willing to, to take this, this loss here just because of a rancorous hatred they have for Ron Paul. It's, it's unambiguous. Take a look at the commentary and listen to the type of things that are being said and the, see the type of things that are being put out describing Ron Paul in practically every derisive and contemptible way that human tongue can utter or human pen can inscribe. I last night I listened to Mark Levin, which, by the way, is not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. As I said before, he sounds like Joe Pesci on helium. <laughs> and so there's a very disagreeable thing going on there aesthetically, as well, of course, as the pure feculence of his mm-hmm. outburst. But he was talking about how he would do everything he possibly could to defeat Rand Paul if Ron Paul were to run as a third-party candidate this year. I mean, honestly, I sincerely believe on the basis of my exposure to Levin, that if if he thought it were necessary, he would probably ensconce himself in a book depository and take a shot at Ron Paul. Yeah. I don't think that that's exaggerating the, the hostility he has for Ron Paul, but there's a certain high-time preference bias here because they just want to be rid of him and be rid of the so-called Paul Tards or Paul Bots or interesting, this, this third epithet, mm-hmm. Palestinians. That's another oh, term okay. of art that's being used to describe people or sympathetic disease. The other thing that we should bear in mind here is that The Republican infrastructure here is completely insulated. It's as insulated from accountability as are the TARP-subsidized banks or your typical police department here. There might be demotions within the hierarchy, but nobody's going to end up on the streets uh, panhandling because Mm -hmm. of bad decisions that they make at that level of leadership. Mm -hmm. That being the case, I think they'd be willing to absorb the consequences here on the assumption that at least their positions would be secure, and I'm talking about the party elders, Mm -hmm. if you will. Right. And And they've got the the scaifs. Yeah, they've got the scaifs and the other kind of guys who are paying the salaries, including the religious right person. The Hunt brothers, that's not going to go away, no matter how bad their mismanagement. The cockatoos, yeah. The third thing that should be taken into account here is the fact that uh, the really ideological element within the Republican Party leadership, the Trotskyites, are people whose philosophical or ideological credo was defined by a guy who said, the worse it gets, the better for us. And so I think that there's an element within that contingent that would be happy to see Barack Obama unleashed for four more years, knowing the rack and ruin it would inflict on the country, on the assumption that that would make that would put them in better stead in 2016 mm-hmm. uh, for somebody who would be just a full bore exponent of their status message and their their militarist perspective and really take a look at Barack Obama's performance here in terms of the militarism he's not been that different from George W Bush if anything he's been more emphatic in promoting the idea of using military power to rearrange the world according to the Mm -hmm. desires of Wall Street and the War Party. But they would inherit four years from now, I think, a fully dictatorial presidency, assuming, of course, that you could dislodge Obama from it 
once the thing had, had come to fruition. Hmm. Well, I, I I want to ask you about some other things in other spheres of our society, but there, there, there's there's one that's on the periphery of this that really relates to this, and I've referred to the the religious right and how much they have been very much a part of this as well on on the the pro war associations, definitely the most staunchly anti Paul Paul esque. Some of the most vicious yeah. criticism has come from the religious right. Uh, I think I mentioned to you before when uh, one of our guests, Robert Hyde, and I went to the Value Voters Summit, and we happened to have a, 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 a exclusive audience with one of the top-level Family Research Council people there who were running it. And they, he confessed to us that they were worried to death about Ron Paul winning there, and they were talking about how were they going to spin it to the media to basically mm-hmm. deceive the media about this. And these are our Christian leaders uh, that provide the spiritual compass for our for our nation. Uh, when when I look at the Dreyfus affair in France and look to see mm-hmm. how the spiritual leaders in the church there went so far to condemn an innocent man, you know, and this gentleman was in the Guantanamo Bay of their day in Devil's Island, a Jewish man mm-hmm. uh, who only had the secular press and actually the Arab Muslim press that came to his defense. Um, when finally uh, the the intellectuals filled the moral void in their society and came to his attention, uh, whereas they believed for the uh, unity of society and its stability, they sided with the military, with a man that they knew was innocent uh, to incarcerate him. Uh, my understanding as a history is that their, their, their forebears after that were the leaders of Vichy France, mm-hmm. and that actually became full-blown fascist, basically. Uh, and lost lost their way uh, in influencing France. In fact, there were some draconian anti-religion laws passed after they had uh, had lost their moral authority, and then it just went worse from there. Are we in danger of the same thing happening with the evangelical conservative forces here? I'd say we're suffering an advanced case of it, especially in light of the fact that there seems to have been a a full-blown identification between the military on the one hand and the body of Christ on the other, and there's a complete repudiation of the idea of the golden rule as it applies to people who are not part of our tribe, tribe in this instance being defined as the nation state, or being defined as a particular element of the nation state. And the really good illustration of that is something I wrote about a couple of years ago, which was, I believe it was a Pew Center study of attitudes both domestically and internationally with respect to the question of torture. Mm-hmm. And of all the social cohorts were polled, the one that tested highest in support of torture was American evangelical Christians. They tested higher by a couple of orders of magnitude than Muslim populations in countries such as Saudi Arabia. They tested higher than people who were residents of China, which, of course, is ruled by an entity calling itself the Chinese Communist Party. Nowhere in recorded human history is there more enthusiasm for torture than in American conservative evangelical churches and communities. Another thing that I find very, very disturbing here is the sense that there is a severability clause somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount dealing not only with a question of who is my neighbor, you know, your neighbor is whoever God happens to put in your path. That's the answer that was given in the mm-hmm. parable when God himself was, was limiting that principle and illustrating it for the benefit of somebody who asked that question in sincerity. You know, who is my neighbor? 
your neighbor is whoever God puts in your path. And he chose, as an example, a Samaritan, who is somebody easily as reviled by the Jews of that era as the Jews were reviled in anti-Semitic France, or the Muslims are reviled today. In other words, Jesus throws an infidel, a non-believer, to illustrate the godly principle that your neighbor is whoever God happens to put in your your path. Mm-hmm. That's something which I think has been repudiated by that same cohort of the church that embraces torture, because obviously you cannot torture your neighbor. If, you, if you're bound by the golden rule, you cannot inflict torture on somebody, because obviously you would not want torture to be inflicted upon yourself. And you, men- you mentioned the antecedents of the Vichy France uh, phenomenon as one illustration of where we might be going. Another illustration that uh, occurs to me irresistibly is the situation in Germany is described Max Hughes' wonderful book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, which was my favorite book of 2011. I actually gave it to a couple of people as Christmas presents over the last couple of months, hmm. or a couple of weeks, rather. What's the name of that book? He talks uh, Eric Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I can't remember. It, it's Eric Metaxius is the fellow who uh, was one of the creators of VeggieTales, but he's otherwise completely acceptable. Mm-hmm. And he did a biography of uh, the, uh, I consider to be the exemplar of Christian discipleship, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I think it's called Prophet, uh, let's see, let's see uh, oh, for heaven's sake, I can't remember the subtitle of it. Just look, just mm-hmm. look under the, 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 the name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. M-E-P-A-X-I-A-S, Metaxias, is the author. The thing that I find ironic about his book is that uh, he goes into great and eminently readable depth talking about positive Christianity, which is the state-focused cultural Christianity of Germany in the early 20th century, and how Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who came from a very elite family and was the beneficiary of a tremendous education, was a was a convicted Christian down to his corpuscles and deeper. Uh, as early as 1933, he knew that he was eventually going to be killed by this regime that he saw rising. He early on recognized it as pure, unfiltered idolatry, collectivist idolatry, denying the sovereignty of God and denying the value of the individual. And he knew as early as 1933 that he was going to come to an inseparable, or to an irrepressible uh, dif- difference, disagreement, uh, an irreconcilable conflict with this regime that eventually killed him in 1945 when you, in the distance mm-hmm. uh, could be heard the rumbles of Russian artillery as the late siege to Berlin. Right. Uh, he's somebody who joined the movement to take out Hitler through assassination through agonized reluctance because he obviously did not support assassination. He didn't support aggressive violence in any form. And he preached the unfiltered and uh, uncompromising uh, gospel of Jesus Christ at the time when he was being told by the palace prophets of his era, that he had to attenuate his message, that it was actually more valuable to be working within the system, that he needed to be riding the wave lest the wave overtake him. And in one wonderful message, uh, letter that he wrote to a friend, he said, if you if you aboard a train that's heading the wrong direction, simply switching seats isn't going to do you any good. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out that they were mm-hmm. <laughs> unmistakably and irrecoverably on an on, hot rails to hell in terms of what the German church was doing. I see the same thing happening with the American evangelical church, which is more defined, quite frankly, by what they're taught to hate than by what we are commanded to do, which is to love. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that betokens our discipleship. 
You know, the mm-hmm. one thing that he said would, would designate Christians as different from the world is our capacity to love, not merely to love each other, but to love whoever God happens to put in our path. And the thing about Ron Paul's movement, and of course, I can't speak to Ron Paul's core convictions of the state of his soul, but one thing about his movement that makes us so inexplicable and dangerous to the establishment is that he has the courage to insist that the golden rule applies in all spheres of life, especially with respect to what the government does. There's an essay in the Atlantic, uh, the Atlantic uh, Magazine's blog today by Robert Wright. Uh, Mr. Wright is an atheist and an evolutionist, but he makes a really compelling point here that, uh, that only perhaps an outsider like him could make. That Paul routinely performs a simple thought experiment. He tries to imagine how the world looks to people other than Americans. This is such a radical departure from the prevailing American mindset that some right. of Paul's critics see it as more evidence of his weirdness. Where did he get the idea that we're supposed to look upon other people as people? He got it from his Christian faith. And he's running a campaign based on the Golden Rule, which is a non-aggression axiom. You cannot commit aggressive violence against another human being. And he's applying that to all spheres of life, which is why he is mm-hmm. really dangerous. That's the real extremism that gets us in yeah. trouble. That's the sort of thing that gets people killed. That, and you're right. And uh, I think that author hit the nail on the head. And in fact, uh, when I heard him speak at the Value Voter Summit, of all of the candidates that were now this was for the religious right, you know, to get the Christian yeah. vote in the straw poll, he was the only candidate of any of them that opened up their Bible and talked from the Bible. <laughs> Only one, and he uh, he talked in the Old Testament about uh, God talking to Samuel about the people wanting a king, and God's warning of what would happen if they if they got a king, and, and how uh, we had fallen and lapsed into wanting a king, and it had made the society the way it was rather than what God intended. And then he talked about what the golden rule. He talked about the beatitudes and the golden rule. He was the only one who talked in the Bible. Uh, of course, about eighty to eighty-five percent of the audience. Uh, stood up and applauded the entire time and just about everyone under the age of 35 did except for maybe just a couple of people at the Liberty University booth but the rest of them were up on their feet and uh, so then right after that the Family Research Council uh, Tony Perkins I guess the guy that runs it his comment was was that they must have have actually electronically uh, bugged the voting system to come out and win, the, the voting ratio was actually less than what the the percentage that we saw just standing up and cheering, uh, which you know made their vote very clear. But he was accused of actually basically doing a criminal act without any proof. Ron Paul and the supporters were accused, accused yes, of criminal act. Yes, directly in print. We're given in print by the head well, of the Family Resources Council. Yeah, here's something else that's of of a piece with what you're describing here. There's an activist and columnist by the name of Star Parker. Yes. who over the last few days at World Met Daily published a piece talking about the Value Voters Summit and how mortified she was by all these young, how does she describe them, these young, untutored Republican activists who were, from her perspective, materialistic and had succumbed to some kind of, of more relativism precisely because they'd understand that virtue requires that they support an aggressive war against Iran. That was the case she was making, that the fact that they are misguided and selfish and materialistic is measured by their lack of enthusiasm for slaughtering Persians. 
Mm-hmm. You know, right. That's where we. That's the point we've reached now. Where in terms of that element of the conservative Christian demographic in America that calls itself the Christian right is completely wedded to militarism, as, as indissolubly wedded to militarism as was the positivist Christian church, the so-called uh, positive mm-hmm. Christian German church of the 1920s mm-hmm. that uh, later on added uh, Mein Kampf to the canon and put Mein Kampf in a place of honor that it had once been reserved for the family Bible. Mm-hmm. By the way, the name of that Bonhoeffer biography yes. is Bonhoeffer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy. And okay. the last name of the author is actually spelled M-E-T-A-X-A-S, Metaxas, Eric Metaxas. Okay. Thank you. You know, it's fu- it's funny you, you, you brought this up about their materialism and like, because um, not being nearly as versed as, as you are in the center of the universe of Christian libertarian thought, I see I see a dark side that often gets uh, confused and conflated with what I see as a positive side of libertarianism, and that is the Ayn Rand objectivist mm-hmm. view. That's very materialistic. Uh, and in fact, if you want to look for that, that is the part of libertarianism, or if it's mis- misidentified as such, that has actually made its way into religious right circles. Because if you look yeah. into the, the uh, anti-Sharia law movement, you will find people like Pamela Geller, uh, mm-hmm. who writes atlasshrugs.com, makes it very, very clear her direct support and Anne Rand was her inspiration. And, in fact, they teach very clearly that they believe, since might makes right, that it would be in our interest to basically just go on and nuke all of the Middle East, torture whoever we want with abandon, and that because our own personal interests uh, are paramount, and they call that libertarianism. In fact, uh, one of the shocking links that she put on from one of her closest advisors that she linked on her her site I saw was an article written at foxnews.com from the vice president of the Ayn Rand Institute saying that America had to choose between Ayn Rand and Jesus Christ. And mm-hmm. they were saying that the principles of the Sermon on the Mount and loving your neighbor were passe, and they're what were holding uh, America back, and that we would have to adopt the principles of Ayn Rand. And here's the curiosity. This, this, this dark side of, of libertarianism without a soul or a conscience is the part that appeals to the religious right. This is the part yeah. that the Tea Party has. They they walk around with the sign saying Ayn Rand was right. And uh, <laughs> I, I hope I'm not stepped on your toes here, Will. I think I know not you well enough to know that this part of their Ayn Rand message is not the, the glory of libertarian thinking. It, it's its demise. And this is the part it that is. they actually embrace. Well, the thing that Ayn Rand introduced into the common vernacular here is the concept of what she called the virtue of selfishness. And she referred to it as a virtue. And in doing so, of course, she cunningly transposed a couple of very key concepts here. Individual, individualism and selfishness are not the same thing. Uh, she talks about altruism, which is a very troublesome concept. Not many people understand that the term and concept of altruism is not Christian charity. It's not even really... Uh, counterfeit of Christian charity. Christian charity, of course, is the idea that the individual transcends himself by making himself a vessel for God to bless others Mm -hmm. through service. Altruism is the idea that you have a social duty to sacrifice yourself on behalf of the collective. That, of course, has nothing to do with the Christian gospel. But Ayn Rand tried to say that Christianity promoted altruism. Altruism is about self-immolation. 
on the altar of the collective, and so you have to do away with Christianity. But what she doesn't explain is what would be the moral basis for exalting the individual, and the moral basis for exalting the individual in her system is power. And mm-hmm. it is power, the lust for power, what Augustine mm-hmm. called the libido dominandi. The and that is satanic. That's satanic, it, correct? It is. It is. I mean, it is, it is the, the headwaters of, of all forms of tyranny over the mind and body of other human beings. And it is the antithesis, obviously, of the golden rule. The golden rule dictates that you have to see the other individual, whoever that individual is, as, like yourself, a unique creation of God with exactly the same rights that you are required by the moral law to respect. Ayn Rand seems to believe that it's pretty much a straight line from Aristotle to her in terms of Western philosophy, Mm -hmm. of course, is absolute (laughs) nonsense. I'll tell you who who her direct antecedent was. It was the Marquis de Sade. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. I actually spent, when I was younger and had time to invest in foolishness of this sort, I invested about a week trying to choke down as much of the writings of Sade as I possibly could. And both of the books that I had bought ended up going airborne very quickly. Mm-hmm. I simply couldn't, I couldn't endure it. The only other time I've done that was with the uh, Satyricon of Petronius Alder, which is basically the same stuff. But in his statement of what he called philosophy, I believe it was in Justine, uh, Saad said that the highest of nature's laws decrees that I enjoy myself no matter at whose expense. Yeah. That's Ayn Rand's anti-philosophy. It repudiates the idea that any other individual has any rights that she has to respect. So you have people who are drawn together by a shared appetite on the basis of convenience. That's what the Ayn Rand movement is all about, and it exalts the principle of power. And so you have the Ayn Rand Institute, the same people who showed up when I was writing about national service uh, 15, 16 years ago, showed up and, and did some very good interviews about the evils of national service, uh, flipping around after 2001 and talking about the imperative need to immolate the entire Arab population of the Middle East and mm-hmm. uh, the entire Persian population of Iran or anybody else that they seem to think would eventually at some point pose a threat. And as you say, uh, much of the putatively Christian right resonates with that message in large measure because, first of all, Militarism and nationalism have become official tenets of the American creed, according to the conservative evangelical so-called mainstream. And uh, secondly, this, this, this is the, the uh, this is the gospel of Jesus Barabbas, correct? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the Barabbas, uh, who was a thief, and I guess from some account, uh, uh, yeah, murderer. I don't think that his ambitions were anywhere near as vast as that, quite frankly. I think he was probably a very small bore uh, mm-hmm. sociopath. Yeah, and he was but, concerned uh, about his own country. He wasn't even concerned about uh, invading others. Exactly. I mean, he, he mm-hmm. didn't, he, he, to the best of our knowledge, there's very scanty information available in the scripture about him, but to the best of our knowledge, he, he didn't lust to export revolution uh, throughout the Levant and into Asia mm-hmm. Minor and, and then into hinterlands uh, previously unknown. He just wanted to wanted to do right according to his morally torqued perspective uh, for himself and his kith and kin. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you got people who honestly believe that they, they have some kind of a mission ordained to them by history to, to rid the world of, of evil, or in the case of the Ayn Randians who don't believe in good and evil, uh, to rid the world who somehow interfere with their sense of how the world should be run. 
Hey, can I clarify this real quick? I want to make sure, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, is I understand the difference so our listeners don't get confused. Libertarian thinking uh, does not banish the need for virtue in society. It actually calls to a higher virtue than what we have. And it, it would say that exactly. individual virtue, it, it goes with the assumption that individual individual virtue can exceed or surpass the collective virtue of the state. Well, it starts with the understanding that all human beings are problematic and troublesome when entrusted with power, and that no human being is virtuous enough to exercise power over another. So no human being has the right to commit aggressive violence against another. That's the golden mm-hmm. rule. I mean, from, mm-hmm. from where I sit, the fundamental tenet of libertarian or anarcho-capitalist or voluntarist thought is the golden rule. We're all equal before the law. The one law, really, the only law, is the non-aggression principle. Mm-hmm. And on that, we'll hang the Constitution and all laws worthy of our respect. They're all commentaries on or applications of the non-aggression axiom or the golden rule. And it doesn't banish the necessity for individual virtue, just recognizes that virtue cannot be obtained through compulsion. It is impossible to make somebody better mm-hmm. through coercion. It's possible to use coercion defensively in order to protect yourself against the vicious. And there arguably is a role for coercion in terms of punishing conspicuous acts of viciousness. But you can't make somebody mm-hmm. righteous through coercion. And if you did, then the law, of course, uh, is of no effect. Because the purpose of the law, and I'm talking about the law of Moses here. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the, the book of Romans, take on the, the law of Moses. The purpose of the law was not to make people righteous. It was to convict this of sin. Right. That was the whole point of the law to begin with. Uh, God gave you a, a detailed and by no means exhaustive list of all the ways that we offend against his standard of absolute righteousness and purity. Not so that by following these things would make ourselves righteous, but by trying to follow them would realize our, our need for a savior. Mm-hmm. Now, the way the statism works is that it offers the same equation, the difference being that it cocoons us in myriad laws, enactments, and calls laws, and then leaves us completely the mercy of the grace of the supposedly divine entity called the state. And so libertarianism starts from the proposition that the state, being composed of flawed human beings, cannot make us virtuous through coercion. All right. You know, we've gotten far afield in our time just about as... We'd like to have you more, but we yeah. just recognize uh, we take up much of your time. Do, do you have any um, closing predictions for other events or spheres that we need to keep our eye on in 2012? It seems to me profoundly likely, and I'm not going to say that this is a moral certainty or even a probability so strong that I bank on it, but when the Council on Foreign Relations publishes an article entitled A Time to Attack Iran, <laughs> I think we can assume that sometime <laughs> in, the next, in the next year or so we're likely to see an attack on Iran. And not to be outdone, Larry Clayman, who has attached himself to this monstrosity that we were describing earlier of militarist nationalism, uh, went one better in the bandwidth of World Net Daily by publishing an essay entitled Time to Nuke Iran. And I just heard mm-hmm. Michelle Bachman a couple of days ago say that if she were elected president, one of the first things she'd do would be to to uh, stir up the propellant tanks in our missile silos as a way of showing Iran that we're serious. Mm-hmm. Rick Santorum was saying that we need to attack Iran in order to send a message to Egypt, attack mm-hmm. Shiite Iran in order to send a message to Sunni Egypt. You know, that makes sense in Rick Santorum's world. And then but, we hang them, and then we kill them. 
<laughs> shoot them and then throw them out of the airplane. You know, uh-huh. that sort of thing. Yeah, they have but to the, do one-upmanship with each other, don't they? <laughs> we just had, uh, on the last days, literally the last day of 2011, we had the NDAA, as you mentioned, who uh, was signed into law by Barack Obama that creates a battle zone out of what had been called the homeland, and now it's called the battlefront, I guess. And under that, under that, uh, under the relevant amendments to the National Defense uh, Authorization Act, now the military has the supposed authority to detain indefinitely any U.S. citizen who is seen as an enemy combatant, a cohort of terrorism, or otherwise uh, a bad guy, an unprivileged enemy combatant. And uh, just in the last year, you saw the first acknowledged targeted assassinations by drone strikes of U.S. citizens, Amar al-Awlaki, and his 16-year-old son, for heaven's sake. And then you also had the use of a predator drone in a routine law enforcement dispute involving a controversy over stray cattle in North Dakota. I mean, at the corner of no... Yeah, at the corner of no and where in North Dakota, (laughs) you have this family, the Brossards, who've had a terrible time with the local sheriff's office, who had stray cattle on their property, and under North Dakota law, they had the right to keep that cattle until there was adequate provision made for payment of damages that had been done to their property, but the sheriffs decided that they wanted to make a, a me- they wanted to send a message, make an example out of uh, Rudy Barrett, his name is Randy Brosser, the, the head of that home. Uh, he ended up in a terrible mess, and uh, the next day when the deputy showed up to get the cattle, they were met at the the gate by the three adult uh, Brossard sons carrying rifles, and that caused the deputies to irrigate their skivvies, so they went scrambling back to their their headquarters, and they called in a drone, actually two drones, the Department of Homeland Security, to overfly that property to make sure that these bad guys were not carrying weapons when the SWAT team surrounded their property, and they sent the sheriffs in to arrest them without, other, without instant. Perfectly routine law enforcement operation, if you understand the fact that nobody was ever really in danger here, and this should not have been handled by the Sheriff's Department anyway, but you have these people targeted for this exceptional treatment because the so-called Southern Poverty Law Center has said that they were part of the sovereign citizens movement. So you've got the SPLC mm-hmm. painting targets for drones domestically is what's going on. We mm-hmm. can expect to see more of that kind of thing because drones are starting to proliferate for uh, the purposes of domestic law enforcement, which is now a military undertaking anyway in this country. I think that probably... Uh, the other thing that is of significance that happened on the 31st of December last was when Obama signed a measure imposing sanctions on Iran, which are basically intended to provoke Iran into providing a casus belli. Uh, they want to slap sanctions on anybody who does business with Iran, as if, by the way, our economy right now were really offering us the kind of leverage that would put us in a position of strength here toward Iran or anybody else. And Iran, of course, reacted by threatening to shut down the Strait of Hormuz if they are actually attacked, which actually, when you take a look at their perspective, ringed as they are with American uh, military assets and, and nuclear-armed neighbors, most of whom are friendlier toward the United States than they are toward Iran, I don't doubt for a second they've been running uh, mm-hmm. scenarios involving certain down the Straits of Hormuz. But the same thing is happening with Iran that the FDR administration did with Japan. They want to maneuver them into the position of firing the first shot or something mm-hmm. they can claim as the first shot. Right. And I honestly think that sometime this year you're going to have a, a Gulf of Tonkin type thing mm-hmm. 
eventuate in the Straits of Hormuz, and when that happens, or USS you know, Liberty, yeah, mm -hmm. or USS yeah. Liberty, same deal, yeah, yeah, All right. Well, well, yeah, I, I have I have the same kind of fears too. You know, uh, a lot of the talk in the debates has been, well, we need to take preemptive action. We live in an era where where preemptive action is there now. I was just sitting here thinking that you know. Both Pharaoh and uh, King Herod believed in preemptive action as well. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because that's they the, believe that's exactly the right way to that's exactly the right way to approach it. How often, by the way, in talking about these value clarifications exercises we've had in schools, people have posed um, lifeboat dilemmas here. You know, which person do you throw off the lifeboat? Which which of these human lives do you decide is less innately valuable than another? Another variation on this is the idea of would you have aborted Adolf Hitler? And, of course, the answer is no. You wouldn't have aborted Adolf Hitler. You're not God. You don't know how this person's going to turn out. But now we have people like Rick Santorum, who offers these weepy testimonials to his own sensitivity when it comes to the sanctity of unborn children and, and vulnerable children, talking about preemptive action against Iran that would entail the death of thousands, tens of thousands of people, or if nukes are involved, millions of people, on the basis of things they have not done and probably would never do. Mm -hmm. Do you think when he carries his Knight of Malta sword around, you think that gives him a little gumption, you maybe, to go kill some Muslims <laughs> when they dress up think... in the Crusader outfit that they wear? Yeah, I, I think that type of thing represents serious compensation for uh, normally unseen delinquency or deficiency. So. Yeah. But you know, it, but once again, we, who am I to say? We, should uh, we, shouldn't we worry when our when our Christian leaders, our political leaders, feel like they have to play cowboys and Indians and dress up in outfits to look like crusaders, and then we give them yeah. the keys to the nuclear football? Yeah, that that's one of those I wake up screaming type scenarios. And yeah. if people are really serious about the discipleship, they don't have to be play acting because, quite mm -hmm. frankly, discipleship gives you enough stimulation and legitimate adventure to overwhelm the imagination of even the most imaginative mm -hmm. of, us, of us. If you're doing it right, if you're, you know, Christianity is not boring if you're doing it right. Wow. And it can be very, very trying. It can be, it can be, uh, speaking from my limited experience of actually living or trying to live mm -hmm. what I profess to believe, it, it can be a challenge that easily outstrips anything that your imagination mm -hmm. can supply. Well, and I see you as a true soldier for Christ in the way that it was originally intended to be, in that you fight vigorously for those who don't have a voice, for the downtrodden, for those who are uh, being bullied by the state. And as far as I know, you're the only person who is the voice for these people. So if anybody wants to see a chivalrous example, rather than go to the people who like to bully and pick on people who have less weapons than we do, how about go look at a gentleman who looks at those who has no one else to speak up for him, and and that's Will Grigg. And, uh, Will, I want to thank you so much for being mm -hmm. with us. I know we kept you longer than I intended, but I shouldn't be shocked in that. Um, any last words for our listeners, things that they need to keep an eye out for, or any kind of words that uh, they would meet a better fate in 2012? Any wisdom to dispense? I want, first of all, to thank you for those very kind words. You did me great honor, and great and undeserved honor. I really appreciate that. I don't really have any exceptional wisdom to impart here, apart from saying that this is going to be a year, I'm convinced, where we will be assayed to find out what we're made of, 
and mm-hmm. there are a lot of bluffs that are going to be called here. There are a lot of checks that have been written against our convictions that are going to be sent through to see if we have sufficient funds. So this is a point in our lives where we have no choice but to get real very quickly, and that's something that I think a lot of people are coming to realize despite all the efforts that are made to distract us from the account settling that's, that's going on right now. Uh, you, you simply cannot sustain the illusion any longer, any of the illusions upon which we've subsisted for, for decades. And so mm-hmm. there, I think, is a certain comfort to be had here. I, I like the fact that when things reach moral equilibrium that you have a settling of accounts. It can be unsettling initially and very painful, but mm-hmm. it's necessary. Boy, I hadn't, hadn't really thought about that, but all the craziness that we're seeing in this world and have covered the last seven years on Future Quake may be merely set up to be a testing for Christians in the West. Uh, like you say, we're being assayed to see what we're really made of. And I hate for the rest of the world to have to go through all this grief because of the time yeah. of our testing. But uh, but so be it. I sure hope we pass the flying colors. I hope our Futurians do. And um, if you do want some uncommon wisdom, uh, go on a regular basis. I suggest at least weekly to freedominourtime.blogspot.com. Um, you will shed. You will laugh a lot. You will have some tears of laughter uh, from the just incisive wit there. But you also have a lot of tears where your heart will be broken. Yeah. That's what uh, happens to me every other article. Over people. Like slap somebody. Who, if it wasn't for Will Grigg, no one would know of their plight. And um, Jesus has special, special gifts for you, Will, for what you're doing. Because this is the very same activity if you were on earth he would be doing. Um, his main focus wouldn't be gay marriage. It would be looking after the people like yourself who are unduly imprisoned and suffering because of the man. And I just want to thank you so much, Brother Will. Um, I wish I was one of the Hunt brothers or something or had had uh, made huge sums of money from exploiting others because I could write you a big check then and, mm-hmm. you know, assuage my conscience. But I really can't do that. Um, but I want to encourage all of our listeners. If You still have books for sale, right? Is it Global Gun Grab? Is that right? Yes. What? Yeah, we still, okay. have, we still have a sm- very small supply of those. And I'm okay. also trying to develop a few other premiums that I could offer, and I'll probably have some things to say about that. I might message you on Facebook about that okay. if you're interested in finding us some more. Well, uh, some of our listeners this year have been very generous to us on the donate button, and I'd like for, to divert their uh, generosity to your donate button mm-hmm. at freedominourtime.blogspot.com. Oh, Hit that so donate button, folks. It has been... It Both has, of you. It has formed <laughs> most of the best material you've heard on Future Quake. Uh, was stuff that was lifted and plagiarized from that website mm-hmm. and, and from your thinking. And uh, I just, God bless you so much. Go get Republic Magazine. Um, when you write in, tell them that uh, you're a Greg supporter and that's why you're doing this. And same thing with Dr. Stan, too. Give Dr. Stan the feedback that you appreciate his wisdom and who he's associating with. And, uh, Will, please don't be a stranger with us. I don't think I could be any stranger. <laughs> well, that's why we love you. That's yeah. why we love you. Thank you so much for being with us. Okay, we're back at Future Quake. We have had our th- three of our four guests mm-hmm. uh, come on so far. Uh, we've got one last one that will be coming on, and I want to save that as a surprise for our Futurians. Uh, and in the meantime, we've got a few minutes for us to do our thing. Get down and do my thing. So uh, I would... Uh, 
sort of like to. You want to? You want to go first or me? This is yeah. like when we do the news things on. Why don't, on why don't you go first? You want you want me to go with mm-hmm. my predictions? First? In this case, beauty before you know stupidity. That's, yeah, that's because you want me to humiliate myself, and it will make you to look better for your predictions. Because having the self-given name of Doctor Future, reality is I have had the worst predictive capability of anyone ever in the history of the show. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting for them. Still waiting for the Betamax to make a comeback. Yeah, and you, you remember <laughs> when I said that they were going to start doing waterboarding parties and fraternities? Yeah. As, and it, I, to my knowledge, that still hasn't caught on yet from mm-hmm. one of my predictions years ago. But um, let me just share with you some I had from last year. This will give you a good laugh, okay, on how well I'm really a good forecaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did say that there would be no attack on Iran in 2011. Oh, very so good. So I was correct yeah, on no, that. Yeah, no, that was a big... And you know what? Everybody else thought you know, there was going to be one. Y- you know why? Because I got tired of saying that there was one and there wasn't. So I finally said that you can't beat them, join them. So there, there, there is none. Uh, second one, um, this was really speculative, and you can see why. I said that there would be a South Korean ship damaged and sunk from North Korea, and shots fired across the DMZ. Mm, that didn't happen, but there was some weirdness there in South Korea as far as people fighting. Yeah, well, and probably if this happened, they wouldn't tell us anyway. So yeah, I'll just chalk true. it up that we're not privy to that information. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I could say I was wrong. Um, number three, a terror attack on a non-air mass transit uh, in the U.S., and that would result in body scanners in other transportation and even buildings. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Well, any I'll give terrorist you 50%. Attacks. There was no terrorist attack, but they have expanded the yeah. TSA pervert machines. To <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you're being very kind to me. I don't uh, think no, I deserve. 50. I mean, you got half of that. Uh, I don't think I deserve that kind of uh, attention. But I said there'd be a big drop off in television ratings and cable because people have just grown tired of it and not finding anything that's worth watching. Mm-hmm. I think that's for the most part true. I recently saw oh, really? some results mm-hmm. that there has been a huge drop in revenue and in overall viewership. Hmm. So, uh, another one that I probably was way way ahead of my time on. I said that there would be a revival of boarding houses uh, where people would start taking in boarders a lot more. It'd be much more common, mm-hmm. and that in time it'd be seen as a good thing. And particularly young people would sort of like the type of communal living uh, boarding houses. And uh, if that's happened, I don't think it's come to the point of being a public discussion. So yeah. another X. Uh, I said there'd be an increase in arson and theft to unused homes, more insurance scams, and someone with collusion of the owners. That's a hard one to track. Yeah, and I would say the only thing for sure that I know that's really increased is stealing copper. And stuff from air conditioning machines and stuff like that, external stuff like that. Well, over that has over New Year's, they did have a huge, they did have a huge spate of arson in Los Angeles. Although I, I would okay. I would tend to think that you know, action doesn't cause doesn't equal effect in that case based on what you were saying. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I was talking nationwide, not just locally, but yeah. um, uh, I said that um, church denominations would begin having pension fund crises, which would eventually get missionary funding. Hmm. Um, still think that will eventually happen. I didn't hear a lot of stories about that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I m- mentioned that there there may be a movement toward a three-way split in the Anglican Church, uh, one of them going toward the Roman Catholic Church, one extremely liberal and one evangelical. 
Um, well, it's it, it's interesting to talk to people who are very staunchly uh, people who are very staunchly into uh, you know Calvinism and, and yeah. the the Protestant revival and all of that stuff, which is you know there's yeah. you know not I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to perfectly, but you know it's okay. Yeah. But they oftentimes do not address the fact that Anglican bishops and cardinals and stuff go to the Roman Catholic bishop synod every year in yeah. in the Vatican City. Yeah, it's it's almost uh, anticlimactic. Yeah, because that relationship's been mm-hmm. almost de facto there. Well, you know, I still think there have been marching in this direction. I don't know if it's been a tangible break in that. So, mm-hmm. uh, I said loosening standards for the military recruiting to meet their needs, mm-hmm. uh, and they see this as a way even to help unemployed. Um, not really been in the news. Uh, a raid on a militia unit, which would require would have some bloodshed, lead to national ramifications. Um, Probably the closest thing to that would be um, the Occupy Wall Street, but that's not really a militia unit. It's just an independent. It's just a bunch of dudes living in a tent. Anti-government unit, yeah. Mm -hmm. Militia without the camouflage. Mm -hmm. And then I said a possible Iranian raid in October. Uh, Although I said, really, I don't expect there to be attack in Iran. So that's it. Incredibly poor predictive capability. Um but I will give you some predictions this year. If if there's any justification in listening to anything I say, which yeah, probably lay not, it on us, man. You'll know what what is not going to happen by what I say. So I will let these on to you. Mm-hmm. I said that uh, Joe Biden will be asked to quote retire after this term. Um, you know, of course, behind closed doors, you know, retire, mm-hmm. and that Hillary or others will be asked to help the 2012 chances. Uh, my second one is that Sarah Palin and possibly Chris Christie will actually re-enter the race. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, number three, that the Occupy movement, sometime during the year, uh, what will have as its next fling, it will take over a national landmark, maybe something like the Golden Gate Bridge or something like that, hmm. and occupy it. Um, and it ends somewhat violently. Hmm. That there's uh, not maybe a bloodbath, but something more like Kent State or something like that. Um, number four, uh, there will be accusations that they will make of grave seriousness that there are Al-Qaeda agents as part of the Occupy movement. That that they will claim that they've infiltrated them to try to do damage to our functioning society. Hmm. Um, I predict a major downturn in organized church attendance which will begin really worrying establishment church people. Sure. Uh, I don't know if, how easy that is to track, but... Well, there's, uh, they, the, you know, in practical numbers, there's a there's a radical collapse going on just statistically yeah. of people identifying with the church, you know. Right. The Baptists have been able to hang on pretty good, Southern Baptists, but even they're feeling it now. Yeah. They're having the downturn. Um, I say that uh, this is one that's sort of novel, that sports figures will begin making pagan ritual acts part of their celebrations after touchdowns and things like that. I would say that that's going to be difficult because, well, I mean... I don't mean like killing a goat or something. But, <laughs> I but don't know where they're going to get an animal to bring it on the field. They'll have hand signals or other kind of things that will actually be pagan in origin and not just Christian. Interesting that, you know, Tim Tebow, maybe that's kind of where, you, where your thinking came from. I don't know. 
You but, don't know. You're the guy making the predictions. Well, I, I don't know. I was just automatic writing. It just started writing. Oh, great. And, and, yeah, so, yeah. Here, I was messing with the Ouija board. I saw the letters came on and just wrote it down. So Okay. Anyway. Um, but wouldn't that be interesting to see some, you know, wicked kind of... You know, it's hard to take you seriously when you're wearing the same hat and mush mask. Uh, mouth, do you know why? It's because it's so cold in here, I can't hardly stand it. <laughs> well, I don't know if, you TV were, if we're in the midst of like a cryogenic experiment or something. Yeah, we're just playing Mrs. Future to, for that. You're trying to freeze me out, make me into like oh. a Han Solo block of ice, or what? You, know what? you could you could actually gut Pyro there and crawl inside, to, like the uh, <laughs> like the movie. Maybe you put know? my foot in it. Yeah, yeah, some yeah. heat inside him. You know. Yeah. Um, New bank crisis due to overwhelming uh, number of repossessed and non-selling homes. Mm-hmm. Basically, they just so swamped with them that they can't keep up. Like mm-hmm. they just can't even keep them mm-hmm. up capped and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the question is, what does the bank do? Do they mm-hmm. go get a government bailout because they they have nowhere else to bankrupt themselves? I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fifteen major cities declare bankruptcy this year, which will be a step up from this past year. Uh, there's been a few of them, few major cities this year, but like Birmingham, and Harrisburg. Mm-hmm. A growing problem of Americans being taken for hostage for money and for political goals. That you'll actually hear more events of of Americans taken hostage mm-hmm. uh, for all sorts of reasons, but people are desperate for money. Mm-hmm. Uh, major unrest in China, uh, and this will come from a disgruntled middle class due to economic problems, and it will actually have some violence. You maybe they will not tolerate that. That's already kind of going on right now, you know. Oh well, I, I didn't mean to cheat, but uh, that would be bigger. Uh, ayahuasca and other entheogens will become a growing topic in public discourse, and I think that will be largely escapism, mm-hmm. and it's sort of sure. tied to people getting away from normal churches, mm-hmm. but they still want something to think positive about. Sure, it's like the opium dens of today, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, a downturn in Facebook and texting use. And partly that will be due to just simple fatigue, uh, basically sort of being beholden to them, and the kind of lifestyle impacts that it's endured. Um, there will be a huge crowd at Stonehenge on December 21st for the 2012 thing, mm-hmm. and probably nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the last two... Financial crises of parachurch organizations. And uh, um, you'll see more and more groups that are well-known. We, we mentioned in our show earlier the Family Research Council. Those kind of groups and things, there'll finally be some major pullbacks on their resources and availability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lastly, uh, popular sports, uh, hobbies, pastimes, even the cinema will uh, retreat in the scope of of what they do because of the economy. Um, they won't be in as grand a scale, won't be as much money involved. Basically, things are going to get simpler. And, you know, this has already been seen in NASCAR, which is a very money-intensive sport where yeah, you there's a lot, a lot less of money. Just to get it on the field. A lot less than sponsors, a lot yeah. less teams. It's retreated. But even people's hobbies are not going to be as, as extravagant. Uh, their pastimes, people are going to go to the cheap movies instead of the mm-hmm. more expensive one, that finally it's going to really start having a tangible uh, impact on people's lifestyles. So it's going to be forced simplification. That will be a story this year. So that's it for me. Unless you have any comments on it, I no. am ready for you. All right. For, for, your, up here. for your 
for your stuff. So, all right. Know, any, any of those sounded interesting at all, whether they're going to be true or not? No, they all sounded good. I like them. They sound interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, while you're looking up, how would you like for me to share? Yeah, your, tell me, tell me, tell me where I your, was at. Your past predictions. This is from our prediction show last year. Okay. I had to, I had to cheat, and you had that list made last week. I had to cheat and look at it to see if there was one in particular Can't that you actually it. held me to it. Can't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. First one. You said that the phrase for 2011 to describe it basically would be polarization uh, in all areas, including economic, political, and religious. What do you think? Uh, I guess it's really it's hard, a hard to one to measure. It's, it's hard, hard to call, measure. Quantify. I it's, think it's the gotten, trend is there. It's more polarized, but it all depends on how you want to define that. Well, that's the description of even why Occupy Wall Street exists is because of the economic side of that. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. saying the polarization has gotten intolerable. Well, and I've and it's interesting because I've had more and more conversations with people who are under 35. I had a conversation with two gentlemen this past Sunday yeah. uh, who have recently come to the Lord in the last several years and said, I guess it's not recently, but mm-hmm. you know, they said they they refuse to work normal jobs at for-profit industries because they they um they disagree with the idea of having any coercive relationship, either with the state or with individuals. So therefore, they they choose to work in either the arts or nonprofits. That's interesting. And I was like, wow. that's a pretty yeah. that's a pretty bold statement. You yeah. know, I don't I don't know if I disagree with all the ins and outs of right, it, but right. um, the fact that they're willing to go to that extreme. I don't know if everybody could do that because somebody has to make regular profit stuff to be able to fund the nonprofits. Well. Be that as it, well, yeah, okay. Be that as it may, whatever the intricacies are, the the fact, the overarching fact of that is that is an incredibly high bar of intellectual integrity, mm-hmm. you know, moral integrity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can respect that, even even though I may yeah. not necessarily agree with everything they say. You know? What about like selling instant lottery tickets? Would that fit within that? Yeah, you know, okay. being a go-go dancer. Or yeah. Exactly. Whatever they call the one that dances in the cage in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Morally high yeah. road. Issuing subpoenas, that would be a neat yeah. one for that. You know. um, number two, state budgets will be coming to a day of reckoning. It'll be a big story around March and April. Mm-hmm. It kind of was, but then it went away. So was it Was it yeah. at that time? I didn't know. Yeah. Well, uh, as we talked about with Mitch, I believe Harrisburg bit the dust, and so did yeah. Birmingham. I don't know how many other big Again, cities. Again, that but, might be one that may be a hit, may be yeah, a miss. Yeah. 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 Thank goodness there was no wagering on these. Yeah. Um, I'd have it, to get odds, you know. Here's the most significant one and compelling one, probably in the history of Future Quake. It says people will reanimate uh, a robot, I think, called Me- Me- Mecha Streisand. Uh-huh. They will actually take over various straits, states. Mm-hmm. It would actually, I guess, basically be like a Godzilla and would yeah. take control. Yeah. And uh, was it David Hasselhoff that you actually thought was going to... Yeah, and Sidney Portier and... Who would actually intervene to stop that. Yeah. So... Um, you know that could have been in the mainstream media. There were some well, there were some scattered that. reports of gigantic mechanized footprints in Wyoming and and Montana, and yeah. uh, David Hasselhoff did go missing for a little while. So okay. I'm going to have to say, there's a possibility yeah. there for that to be a hit. It actually, be Mecca Streisand. Yeah. You know, we should see Nick Redfern because he's into that cryptography or mm-hmm. cryptozoology. Mm-hmm. He would probably know something about that. Um, Food prices will be a big variable, as well as other commodities. Uh, inflation and food prices have risen 10.9%. Uh, uh, Whoa. 
I would say that's a... That's much more than uh, regular inflation. I say I, I knocked that yeah. one out of the park. Okay. Breakup of the euro and the EU. Came up very, very close to that one. That was, that's close. Very close. I, I, I missed. Uh, well, that was lot, like a huge... I mean, that was a <clears throat> very daring one, mm-hmm. and you almost pulled it off. Yeah. It came... It came with, And it could well just happen this year. Yeah. Um, number six, a further increase in partisanship, big government mentality where people will blame political rivals for the economy. Um, I don't know if that's anything new or if no, that's, that's pretty like common. A, not, but um, I get an F. I get an F for even making that a prediction. <laughs> like, the sun's coming up tomorrow. <laughs> no, well, you know. Yeah, you probably presumed it meant like it would be even bigger than normal. Yeah. In and, some ways it has. And, and, yeah, but some I would still has. say ultimately that's kind of a weak prediction. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, weak is mine, but mm-hmm. groundswell of people uh, will come around whose lights have come on, or basically the, I guess that means the light came on in their head mm-hmm. about being aware of what's going on. I think I think we're in process. Well, you know, that's sort of what they've described the, the increase in the Ron Paul supporters this mm-hmm. year as being the people who are, quote, awakened. See, you that's, know, a hard one. that's a hard one ultimately to quantify again because... Yeah. You know, I think there's there's such a push to kind of keep any any news like yeah, that down for right. people to go. Wait, we can change things. Yeah, I you don't know? know the units of measurement. You know. Yeah. The, um, but but I do think if you wanted some kind of barometer of it, the the big increase in the Ron Paul supporters who see themselves that way uh, would would be indication. Mm-hmm. You said a dramatic increase in dark demonic children's entertainment. Yeah, I think. I, I would say that uh, I'm not sure what the tangible examples are. But well, how I've about seen that the trend? How about going. that TV show where it's like, uh, it's I, I can't remember the name of it, but it's a it's a it's a vampire, a werewolf, and a monster or yeah. a mummy or something all living together, and the idea is is that they're just misunderstood. They're not okay. really bad. They're just misunderstood, mm. and they're so learning you know, tolerance. Yeah. Multiculturalism, uh-huh. monsters. Yeah. So probably Nephilim would have been the natural thing yeah. to put in there too. Um, sorcerer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number nine, increase in spiritual darkness towards the young, and particularly those that watch TV. Um, mm, kind of the same one as the other one. Well, I've been I've been hearing a lot of that lately, just from people talking to me about mm-hmm. that. So I think that's largely true. Um, you said that Daryl Hicks and his secret teachings of Abraham and similar teachings would be pushed hard and marketing to desperate people. Know much about that? I don't think I could have been wider on that one. Okay. I haven't seen any of that. Okay. All right. All right. How come I'm rating it's, my own prediction? It's still not the same F Shouldn't as the one you a... said about the government <laughs> playing around. It's in a classified stuff. Yeah. Okay. The last one. Uh, people are going to start pulling back from worshiping Bacchus and Mammon, uh, i.e., basically pleasure, materialism. Uh, they're finally going to have their fill of that. And you, you said there's going to be more truth, justice, uh, and shows that uh, push truth and justice. Mm. I would say maybe, yeah. The okay. trend's in the right direction. Okay. Any particular examples you can think of? Or that's well, the, the huge showing of Ron Paul, the fact that I keep having conversations with people who are like, I refuse to be part of this Babylon system. Yeah. You know, sometimes they say it just like that. Right, right. I will not play this game. They recognize it for what it yeah, is. Yeah. I will. I'm going to, you well, know. Well, yeah, Occupy Wall Street's a little bit of that admission, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
spirit mission. I don't, you know, some people make it out like they're greedy, like they just want what these other people have. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that's what I hear their message is. It's that the way that the Wall Street and their ilk run mm-hmm. the world is evil in and of itself. Yeah. But their detractors will say, well, they just want a piece of the action, what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's it for your predictions for last year. Can you uh, give me something for this year? Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go like this. Uh, scientists collaborate with chefs to make the world's largest meatball. That's going to be my prediction for 2012. Why? I just, you know, I looked into the little future quake crystal ball and Swami Bionicus. Is, that's what they're doing. Okay. Um, we're going to see Ron Paul elected president. We are. I okay. think I think we are going to see that. All right. Uh, closely followed with the U.S. slipping into full systematic collapse. Like banks, everything, it's all, you know. Well, that's a bold prediction. You're saying Ron Paul's going to get get elected, uh-huh. and then the collapse happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you saying it's because of him? No, I'm going to uh, essentially what essentially what I'm what I'm thinking uh, along these predictions is is a scenario that. Um, this is a way to destroy, this is the final way to destroy any sort of, you know, personal self-reliance. Okay. Um, so what the, what they would do is accomplish sort of two or three birds with one, with one massive act. Um, they'll start a war. They'll, uh, you know, uh, slip the, slip the United States into systematic collapse. Banks will close. Nobody can get money problems with the food supply, things like that, and simultaneously elect Ron Paul. And Ron mm. Paul is going to have to try and sort this out. And, of course, they'll they'll pull the rug out from yeah. underneath them at every chance they get. So the only thing that can happen is, um, you know, things will get worse, mm. and it gets pinned on him, you know. Why, why do you think they're, I mean, are they going to try to make him get elected to be a, Scapegoat, or yeah, that's a, uh, eventually yeah. that's how it'll work out. Well, know? I wonder why they're giving you such a hard time now. Well, the I, I think what's going on is that Plan A is to elect a lackey, right? Mm-hmm. But failing, sort of failing that in earnest, mm-hmm. you know, they could throw the election, but then it would be sort of it would be the kind of the ultimate stamp on everything mm-hmm. that you know shows like Future Quake and Infowars mm-hmm. and. Um, if they started a war, why would he go along with it? He wouldn't. They'd start it before. And, oh, okay. And, you know, people okay. are already shooting and everything, and it's, you know, okay. it takes months and months to stop. And meanwhile, right. he gets elected. We're in systematic collapse. Right. Here's the here's the thing. There are people on our shores now, Ron. What do you do? Yeah. Well, well, it has been said that, that the cost of another war would just accelerate an imminent global depression, mm-hmm. is what they're saying. Yeah. So I would just bring that about. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else you got? Um, uh, we'll begin to see Americans, the first Americans arrested in earnest off the streets by the military. Uh, I think they're, I don't think they're going to waste much time in, in using that in selected waves. Um, sometime this year we'll see our, our first actual military arrest where the van drives up, grabs somebody, throws them in the back of the car and drives off. Okay. Kind of like Robert Hyde. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see oil spikes. You know, closely related to the other things. Uh, uh, a dramatic increase in the inflation of food. Um, food's going to go up in a big way. Um, you know, 20, 25% a year inflation, mm-hmm. you know. 
Um, and then we're going to see America really being really being patrolled in earnest by uh, predator drones and being used in a more integral way to police localities and, and state police and, and other things like that. Hmm. Uh, we'll also see, we'll also likely see, we'll, I think we'll finally get that breakup of the EU in earnest. Okay. And only to be replaced by, I, they're going to bifur, likely, likely they'll bifurcate the, uh, the, the currency union. Uh, see the southern, the southern countries, they don't want to be in a currency mm-hmm. union because they, they're, they're at this point, they're still stuck with the debt. Yeah. The northern countries. Are they, those ones known as the pigs? Yeah. The pigs. Yeah, okay. Um, the pigs are still stuck Portugal, with Portugal, Ireland, Italy, Greece, Greece and Spain. Spain. Yeah. Okay. They're stuck with the debt. France will also, France is also in that. Uh, okay. You call it the, the f- pigs. <laughs> well, I thought France was in better. Well. Are they, aren't they not the like second biggest economy in France, in Europe? Well, sure, but you, but in measuring this, you're not measuring the size of the economy yeah. you're you're measuring the relative the relative gap between gdp to okay. debt and france I, is pretty france's banks are pretty okay whoa pretty weak. i just i didn't think they were in that bad of shape i hadn't heard their name mentioned yeah you, wa- you okay well i'll make okay. that another prediction you watch france gets france france goes in the tank so they will retreat like yeah. they're known for doing yep okay um and then in the ashes of the currency union breakup you'll see a renewed interest. You'll see Germany. Germany likes the likes the currency union because mm-hmm. they get to have, they get to have the benefits benefits of having a having sort of a large country mm-hmm. without having the military and everything. They're currently mm-hmm. stuck in the position of trying to tr- trying to dig dig all of these other countries out from the debt. They can't do it, okay. but they like the idea of having a large currency and mm-hmm. you know other things. So they'll probably try a smaller currency union with like the Netherlands and possibly Belgium. Um, Maybe Great Britain, although I don't wow. think Great Britain is going to go along with that. Um, and so then, and that's it. Those are my predictions. That's it. Yep. Very much economic-centered, very much European-centered. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, I mean, I think there's a lot going on, too, with um, uh, Asia, the Asian markets and stuff. Yeah. You'll see, uh, um, but I know less about that, so, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm refusing to comment. I'll make yeah. some, I'll just throw out some bold predictions. Yeah. You'll see China really begin to contract. There's a lot of things going on in China that don't get talked about. Yeah. Mostly people say China is like, oh my gosh, we gotta look out. They're gonna get, you know, to overtake the world. Yeah. Uh, Northern China is dying. They're, yeah. they're dying. They don't have enough water. Right. The Yellow River is, they're trying to, uh, they're trying to, uh, um, Take the, I believe it's the Yellow River. It's the one in the south. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it's the Yellow or the Yangtze. One of them is so polluted, the water is like, like fire red. You know, yeah. it's, it's like fire engine red, and you know nothing grows there. People play in it and get cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, so they can't drink it. They it's can't. almost as bad as having fluoride in it. Almost, yeah. pretty close. So what they're currently trying to do is, um, is is take the take and redirect the Yellow River, which is in the south. And I thought the Yellow because isn't the Yellow River like a border with Korea, North Korea? I thought that was the Yangtze. Whatever no, one is the in the south, they're yeah, trying to—they're the trying to use it to feed Beijing, yeah. right? Futurian Kurt would know. Yeah, he would. He mm-hmm. would know. Yeah, they're used. They're he's try- probably yelling at his radio right now. He's pulled it out Come of on, his. You he's tossed his pod, his yeah. little podcasting device out onto the road. Yeah, and, and uh, having been a missionary there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're trying to they're trying to 
to whatever the river is in the south, and I'm talking off my head here, mm-hmm. so forgive me. They're trying to they're trying to redirect it to feed Beijing's water supply, which is sort of like trying mm-hmm. to feed Boston's water mm-hmm. from the Mississippi. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, just, uh, you know, ridiculous. You know, yeah. just sort of ridiculous. Never been done before. Wow. Trillions of dollars. How do you do this? Um, it's wow. yeah. Um, so that's one thing that is that's huge. You know, you can't have an econ- you can't yeah. have a bobbling economy, vibrant economy, if they don't have enough water. Yeah. Um, this global because there are mostly sort of low based, low end manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, uh, economy. All of this stuff, nobody's going to want cheap Chinese products anymore. Hmm. You know, they're just there's going to be the pie shrinks. Yeah. Part of that is the Chinese thing, and yeah. because they because they uh, they don't have their own currency, you know, it's mm-hmm. always going up and down. There's such corruption, it's no good. Hmm. Um, they're going to really suffer much much more heavily than most people think because of their centrally planned mindset. Okay. And that's really the thing that they're not going to grow out of it. No, and that's really the thing that. Uh, that's really the great legacy from the 60s, you know. Hmm. Everybody now thinks in centrally planned terms. You see it everywhere. I remember watching a documentary of this guy who went to go see the Beijing Olympics, yeah. and they had like one of those turnstiles where you go left, and then you take a little turn and go right, and then go left and right, and it's like at mm-hmm. an airport. You know, There's nobody waiting in line, and there's nobody there. And so this American gets off the gets off the bus, and he just starts walking over the things, and this uh, Chinese Chinese officer freaks out, and he says, you got to go through the turnstiles. You can't do yeah. this. And and so he ends up going through the turnstile and winds up the same place, and the guy smiles and says, thank you. So that sort of, that's their mindset, the centrally planned economy, and it's they're yeah. just not going to, yeah. you, you know, somebody just goes, forget this, I'm going to step over here and, you know, increase increase my efficiency tenfold and they go no we must follow the rules right you know that you can't you can't grow right. out of that right you know yeah along they, with the corruption they will get passed by yeah so anyway those are my predictions all right all right well thank you so much i appreciate that mm-hmm. and uh why don't we introduce our last guest mm-hmm. someone who is beloved by many of our listeners and it's been quite a while since he's been on our show I have to go back and recollect. I believe he was here for our last uh, prediction show a year uh-huh. ago. In fact, I'm almost certain of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably hasn't been with us since then, and shame on us for that, because people would like to have him a lot. And who we're talking about is the um, editor of the Red Moon Rising uh, website mm-hmm. and also the author of the book Red Moon Rising uh, and numerous other works, uh, Peter Goodgame. Mm-hmm. Uh, calling in from Hawaii is going to be with us. And so he's going to give us his unique perspective on what's going on, and he'll have a very, very different perspective, emphasizing very different issues and things, Mm -hmm. and it's a good excuse to talk to him. So uh, we're going to now invite Peter Goodgame of Red Moon Rising to come on Future Quake, give his view for 2012, and then we'll be right back to wrap it up here. The shizzle. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Dr. Bionicus. Who sees the future? Okay, <laughs> you were really struggling for that one, weren't you? you I don't know. My head somewhere else. Or I don't know what's going a, on. It's been a long night. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of predictions going on this time. Yeah. Well, thank goodness somebody else does have their head together, and our our audience certainly knows that our Futurians. And that was because we have probably, if not the favorite, one of the favorite guests in the history of Future Quake uh, by 
huge acclaim of our audience, and that is the one and only Peter Goodgame coming back to join us here on the Future Quake show. And, uh, Brother Peter, I just want to tell you, it is so great to have you back here at Future Quake. Thank you. It's, it's good to, to talk with you guys. Good to be back on the Future Quake show. Well, it just sort of seems natural having you back here. I, I know you're sort of big time. Everybody wants you <laughs> on their stuff. You go on to the bigger venues like Iron Show and things like Iron that. Show. And exactly. uh, on there for Iron nine show, or ten hours at a time. Iron Show. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Longshoreman Johnny has a little bit more decorum than Tom Bionic. It keeps a little <laughs> tighter ship over there. But uh, we know you get around, and uh, your voice of acclaim is, is just about everywhere. Author of the unforgettable book that certainly transformed my view of the Bible, Red Moon Rising, and uh, so much other work, Discovery Giza, other kind of things like this, and influential in other ways beyond Bible prophecy. And, uh, Peter, it's been so long since uh, we've seen you here. Can you get us caught up in what have been the developments in your life uh, since then? Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been crazy. It's been fun. Um, yeah, over the last year, I think I think I was on your prediction show last year, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think that was the last time I was on Future Quake. Yeah, I think that was. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, we're just uh, you know, me and my wife are involved in a, a local uh, healing ministry. We're involved in our local church, and mm-hmm. um, we've been doing that all year. Uh, but last spring, uh, our pastors invited me to start teaching on. Uh, some of the stuff that I've that I've researched over the years. So I did like a ten week Bible study course on on Bible prophecy and stuff like that, and uh, that was very good. And, and uh, also over over the last few years, Tom Juan's always uh, been reminding me of you know my Giza discovery material, yeah. and uh, and so just uh, recently I was able to make some time. And I turned all of that stuff into a manuscript, and I've sent it off to Tom Horn. So, all right. Um, that's that's really that's what I've been up to lately this uh, last this past month. But uh, yeah, the whole year uh, it's been it's been crazy. I've been working hard, you know. I work full time, so does my wife. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we're really trying to stay involved in the local church and and trying to expand the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you know, in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're, we're, there's so much. There's so much to do. God really can keep us busy. And sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. And That's it's, right. It's, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, you, you, uh, when, when is your new book planned to be out? I would. I don't know. Uh, Tom Horn's saying it probably three months from now it'll be available. Three months from now. Okay. Yep. All right. Yep. Um, will it will it contain much of any new information beyond what's been on your traditional Giza discovery? Uh, yeah, there is there's a little bit of new stuff. I mean, I I wrote the book. I tried to keep tried to um, you know you know how I like to operate. I like to get the facts out there. There's a lot of foundation before I um, bust bust out the amazing spectacular conclusions um, right <laughs> so yeah in fact I, in, in the Giza discovery you got to go through like eight pages of like long 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 narrative and then you get to the punchline yeah 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 <laughs> but I, in in the book it ended up being like 25 chapters and I try to keep the chapters short wow but uh, so you know it's but each chapter is full of stuff and it's like I kept it short so people have a place where they can stop and just think yeah. and absorb 
Right. <laughs> you well, because your, your legs get numb on the toilet while you're reading it, you know, between exactly. visits. So it's good to have the shorter chapters, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Well, I, that is such great news to everybody out there, all of our listeners. They, they've got to be tickled to death to uh, know there's another Peter Good Game book out there. And yeah. uh, I'm excited about that. And that's always been one of my greatest uh, readings is your Giza discovery yeah. and the ramification. Yeah. In fact, that's why I quoted it. Uh, in my chapter in Pandemonium's Engine, I spent a good park right. there a good bit to add a lot of supplemental material. Although one thing I've got a beef with you about, you, you quote from the pyramid text and other things, which I discovered yeah. in trying to find references were literally copied off the walls of these uh, complexes in Egypt and made very hard to get through the editor. Uh, they what, what city of publication are these? Well, they're written on a wall in Egypt. <laughs> really? It makes it a little hard to quote these things, but uh, uh, wanna, I wonder if the copyrights expired. Yeah. Well, that's right. But woe to us all uh, when a time comes that we don't have new Peter Goodgame material to be reading. And not to put pressure with you on on the uh, uh, on the prophecy front, because you have so much to say about so many areas about Babylon, about current events, about even how yeah. to live humanely in our societies yeah. and in a Christian way. All those things are important, but I know I could talk forever, but we need to get on to what you have to say about this upcoming year. And I want to first mention, I just have a few from last year to just reflect a little bit on what you told us last year you anticipated yeah. for this year. You had said for 2011, per your last show, that... Um, um, that one of the big problems we were going to have in society was that society was going to be mainly concerned with uh, in the glorification and love of money. Uh, yeah. And that was going to be something that caused us lots of problems. Uh, you talked about the fact of big business running government. Um, uh, you talked about uh, government making the point that charity was a vice uh, and that rather in a healthy economy people need to go out and just make more money that that would be something they'd want to promote. Um, you said that uh, the Chinese government and how they run things there actually shows that the standard capitalism model is not the only way to be able to run a society. Um, you mentioned that ethics were, were needed to check economic systems and that uh, we should invest in people and in not stocks for the kingdom. And yeah. that uh, you also said that in these days we're living in that more Christians are continuing to get more comfortable with the supernatural healings and other kind of manifestations like that as well, too, something you observed. So those were your elaborations from last year. So what are we to expect in 2012, Brother Peter? Well, you know, I I've covered, I covered some really deep topics. I, <laughs> I... I don't mess around on the shallow end. I go right for the for the big things like you know the identity of the Antichrist. Uh, like who's going to win know, the Academy <laughs> Awards, that kind of thing, like that. <laughs> you know, it's but it's it's funny. I just uh, I, I've just noticed. You know, I, this book is really well. Well, let's go back to my the Bible study that I did last spring. The the title of it was the Alpha and Omega Bible Study, and it's talking about. You know, Genesis and Revelation, how the end is all tied up in the beginning, and how we're coming to a time in, in Earth's history where all the loose ends are going to be wrapped up. And right. I, just over the last few weeks, I've just been thinking about how just the fact that, you know, the gospel story itself, I mean, it's amazing. It's this epic story that's, you know, going over thousands and thousands of years 
Um, you know, you got heroes, you got villains, you got plot twists, you got all this all this drama. And it's I don't want people to take this wrong, but it just it really seems to me like God loves drama. And right. <laughs> and he likes amazing endings. I, I mean, just look for instance at at just the story of the Israelites, like even the story of Joseph. You know, a, a young kid thrown into a pit and then sold as a slave, and he ends up being the ruler, you know, second most powerful man in all of Egypt. I mean, that's that's good drama. And then, mm-hmm. and then like uh, Moses bringing the Israelites out of the Red Sea, uh, out of the out of Egypt, and coming to the Red Sea, and behind him is the Egyptian army, and he's at a he's at a loss, and he's like, oh goodness, what do I do now? And it's almost like God takes this tongue towards him. Where God basically says to him, well, "What do you think you should do? Pick up your staff and part the seas, you big dummy." You know that kind of thing. <laughs> <You're> right. Right. <laughs> um, but it's like you know, you just look at all the different stories of the prophets in the Old Testament, and even even in you know the Book of Acts in the early church. There's just this. There's just a high level of drama. God just right. the way the story is, is is being written and being played out. It's it's amazing. It's it's totally a mind blower, and I really believe that uh, the the end is going to be the best part. Mm-hmm. For people that are that are you know living their lives according to the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit, and I truly believe that the church is going to shine its greatest in the end times, leading up to you know the day of the Lord and all that stuff. The best is yet to come, even as the world will appear to be falling apart. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I just I look forward to some good drama, to some you know more radical plot twists, and and if there might be a few listeners, I'm sure there are that aren't familiar with what I say about the identity of the Antichrist and of the nature of his second coming. That's actually I think is going to be the title of my book is the second coming of the Antichrist, and it has to do with you know, Jesus, when Jesus comes back, he comes down from heaven. When the Antichrist comes back, he comes up out of hell. There's a whole bunch of different, um, what I call them in my book is dark reflections of how the Antichrist mm-hmm. is like the mirror opposite of Jesus Christ. But it's, right. it's, it's amazing drama. And the way this thing all plays out in the end, you know, with the, de- the level of deception mm-hmm. involved, um, the level of, of wickedness of people that... Um, your people are going to have the truth shoved in their face, and they're still going to reject it. You know, right. I mean, I mean, not shoved in their face, but I mean, they will be. I, I really believe that you know this gray area out there, the gray area is going to disappear. Right. And well, you know, this was up, a this was a designation that uh, Brother Tom here made last year's prediction about society getting more polarized. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. There's not going to be any kind of uh, tepid, you know, neither hot nor cold. Yeah. Uh, the righteous are going to get more righteous. The wicked are going to yeah. get more wicked. It's going to be very clear at this point to see what's going. Yeah. There's still going to be a lot of deception, but uh, those who are close to the Lord, He will protect them through the midst of that. Yeah. And and you know, you talked about a lot of drama. I've thought about that a lot because I used to write screenplays. I've produced uh-huh. three feature-length movies, and one thing they teach you in screenplays, you know, you read the books on it, is that you have to have conflict. Without conflict, yeah. you do not have a story. Mm-hmm. And you can take that further. You don't even have history uh, without conflict. That's right. You know, when you study history, it's basically a conflict. It doesn't always have to be military. It can be movements or ideologies or, or sure. whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and in fact, you, you, you even say that you don't even have time itself without conflict because yeah. time is a measure of the conflict of the hands on a clock or the movement of the planets. The fact that they're all moving relative different to each other or in effect conflicting is yeah. the fact that, that we used to measure the progress of time. Yep. is is to, to designate the nature of that conflict. So we shouldn't be surprised by any of that. But like a good screenplay writer, God, and, and I agree with you 100%, and that's, that's been the main focus of me understanding the book of Revelation, is that he will leave no stone unturned, and there will be no loose end of judgment or blessing that he will not deal with. That's right. And uh, none of his promises or curses will be ignored or forgotten. Right. And yep. uh, particularly those of us who chose not to, if you choose not to avail yourself of the sea of forgetfulness that he offers to put your sins in, if you would, uh, you know, uh, if you would ask but ask him, but most people won't do that. And uh, yeah. So so uh, what, are, what are some physical ways that you think this will be made manifest in 2012? Oh, boy. Well, I... <laughs> I'm looking at the, the political stuff going on in the U.S. and, you know, the, uh, uh, the primaries and all that stuff. Uh, Are you really excited just, about all those guys? I, I bet it probably makes you really excited, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm just... I'm, inspired. Inspired I'm is really, the word I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, it's it's really sad. It's really sad, the level of, of discourse. And, and we're just... Uh, we're suffering from just... Uh, so many decades of, of propaganda and limited options and as Christians we need to get back to heaven's perspective we need to we need to seek the Lord and, and see his perspective on what's going on in this world and and listen to his voice and you know lately uh, you know last last year I, I it seems that I was focusing a lot on economic topics but mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I, I still am I, I still think that uh, that whole just the economic way of thinking is kind of taken over our country, um, and whether you go to the far left or to the far right, it's uh, it's very troubling. Either way you go, and uh, it, it's just it's such a part. Just yeah. the way our society's structured. It's, it's, it's how they really measure limited. the it's how they measure the health of the country, uh, because they will all admit that economy is their number one issue. Yeah. And whether it grows by a certain amount or whatever, yeah. it's not like uh, maintaining a certain standard of living. If right. you aren't increasing, in their view, you're falling back. Yeah, exactly. Sort of like owning exactly. a corporation. Corporations are never happy having the same profit level quarter after quarter. If right. you don't increase it every quarter, they fire you. Yeah. And that's the yeah. way they see things here. Yeah. They, it's it, the, the health of a country be. is me- measured merely by the uh, profit and loss statement of the country itself. Yeah, well, and then it, you know, the, the measurement of nations is gross domestic product, right? Right. How, what is the total wealth of goods that you have created? Mm-hmm. And, um, the GDP, uh, you know, it just brings me back to a couple of things that Jesus said. Um, one was a parable that he gave while he was talking to his disciples, and he talked about, you know, beware of the sin of covetousness. And then he, and then he says that, um, you know, the measure of a man's life, it's not, life is not to be measured in, in the abundance of your possessions, you know, and your wealth or in your amount of goods that you possess. And then, um, in the book of Revelation, he speaks to the Laodicean church, and the Laodicean church completely misses that, 
you know, that teaching that Jesus gave about covetousness, because the Laodicean church says, you know, look at us, we're rich and we have abundance of goods and we're in need of nothing. And Jesus says, but you don't know, you're poor, blind, and naked. Mm-hmm. And I just, I truly believe that uh, that the American church, more than any other church in the world, is, is the Laodicean church. And right. it's that economic way of thinking, you know, it, it shows you that prosperity gospel, but it's also, you know, the the root, the foundation of conservatism is is capitalism, you know, and it's it's just this, you know, economic mindset that that we're doing good if we're producing and if we're acquiring and if we're building up wealth and and I just think that the the straight words of Jesus kind of blow that whole um, theory out of the water. Don't don't we subtly even practice those values within the church and a lot of churches oh, yeah. large because. I will hear people look at somebody who's a Bible teacher or somebody that's whatever, and if they see that they have a nice car or they dress well or they've got a really, really nice facility, I will start hearing compliments about them, how God is really blessing them. Sure. Or yeah. They've really got it together. Uh, and, yeah. you know, through the process of doing Future Quake, I've met a bunch of people who sort of live from one week to the next, but they are doing massive stuff for the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really not impressing the masses, even within the church. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's the prosperity gospel. That's the that's the trophies of these type of people, these evangelists. You know, they have their their yachts and their fleet of cars and their mansions, yeah. and that's their proof that uh, that they're being blessed by God and they're doing God's work. Um, but you know, Paul had his own list of <laughs> yeah. of how he measured his own successes, and he. And he talked about, you know, how many times he's been shipwrecked and imprisoned and beaten and and been on fastings and stuff like that. And so I really think that uh, um, that's... What about the Hall of Faith in Hebrews? Wasn't that another one of those great leaders that were naked and cold and living yeah. in caves? Yeah. Says the world wasn't worthy of them. Right, right. You know, I'm kind of seeing this, this pattern just over my own life, you know, the... Just from my understanding of, of the Bible and what it talks about, you know, I've been focusing on end times. I've, I've had a time in my life where I've tried to um, become better balanced, you know, yeah, and not right. just not just focused on on the bad things, but also look at what's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but I've noticed there are there are three things that the Bible says have to come, have to happen before the day of the Lord comes, right? Mm-hmm. And those three things are the blood red moon. And the darkened sun, that's in Joel 2.31, I believe, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Or that has to happen before the day of the Lord. Well, that was that was what I wrote my first book on, Red Moon Rising. Right. And then uh, another thing that it mentions is the revealing of the Antichrist has to come before the day of the Lord. That's what my second book is all about. It's all about the revealing mm-hmm. of the Antichrist and his identity. Now, the third thing is the very last prophecy of the, of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says that the prophet Elijah will come before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Yeah. Now, we know that John the Baptist was was born and, and had, the, had the spirit of Elijah upon him. That's what the New Testament says. And then there's a, mm-hmm. there's a moment, there's a time there when Jesus um, talks about John the Baptist and says to, right. his, says to his disciples that um, John the Baptist was the Elijah, but yet... Um, but then Jesus says, but Elijah is still to come because Israel had rejected the right. message of John the Baptist. Yeah, he also says he could be Elijah if you wanted him to be. Yeah, 
exactly. think was another term in the other passage was yeah, yeah. that largely it was dictated by their choice on whether he completely fulfilled that office. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've read a lot of different things about what that means about Elijah coming before the day of the Lord. Um, but because of the case of John the Baptist, I don't believe it has to mean that Elijah himself returns to the earth. What I think it could also mean is just an outpouring of that same kind of spirit. And, you know, I don't, I'm not getting weird here. I don't think it's actually the spirit of Elijah, like a ghost coming down and talking mm-hmm. to people. But I, I just think it's a manifestation of the, of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it, but it's really, it's utilizing the same kind of, uh, it's kind of the same kind of ministry is needed today because what was what was Elijah all about he was confronting idolatry right and he was turning people back to holiness and Malachi says that he's turning the hearts of the fathers back to the sons and the hearts of the sons back to the fathers so it's about healing human relationships and but more specifically as we're all sons and daughters of God it's healing that relationship and mm-hmm. in my study so this is what this is my next really topic of for me to investigate is what what does this mean what, how does it all relate to the end times and when I look now this is where my my studies on the Antichrist are going to transition into something that's much more current and much more uh, uh, politically uh, connected and, and uh, I guess you could say controversial um, because the Antichrist is referred to as the king of Babylon in Isaiah chapter mm-hmm. 14. There is a queen of Babylon, and that's in Revelation 17 and 18, right? Mm-hmm. And even Revelation 19. Um, Elijah was sent to confront Jezebel, and this woman, the queen of Babylon, is like a great end times global Jezebel. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how she's the one who, um, you know, all the, the blood, all the blood of the world is upon her, and she's the mother of harlots and abominations yeah. of the earth, she is a major player. She's a major player. Um, and this is where my study is heading uh, from now on. That's really, yeah. I see, uh, actually, my all of my study into the Antichrist, I really don't think that it's, um, I think it's important. I think it's, it's necessary. But, you know, when someone understands the identity of the Antichrist, it really doesn't change how they live. And I actually believe that God wants to change how we live. And yeah. if we can understand truly how, um, who this woman is, who this right. mother of harlots is, if we can see these things clearly, then it will change. Right. It will change what we do and how we live. And, and uh, if you look at the, the values held by the Church of Laodicea, they're much yeah. the same as the values held by this woman. That's right. That's right. They're much the well, same. If I can make a comment on that, um, yeah. there's very few things you'll find in Bible prophecy, as important as it is, that are direct commands for us to do something about it. You know, one thing is that we're to be informed and be aware of it. But the few things I can think of is don't be deceived. In other words, don't fall for deception. Yes. Be ready. Have your heart ready. Be looking for it. But the other one is right out of Revelation 18, talking about the great city Babylon, when it says, Get out of her, get out of Babylon, my children, and be not partakers of her sins, that you be not party to her curses. Yeah. That And that is a command, Yeah. a command from our Lord. And I don't hear anybody else preaching 
on the fact that we are it's serious that we're supposed to obey that command to get yeah. out of Babylon yeah. and nobody even debates about what are the full reach of the tentacles of Babylon. Yeah, I, really, it's it's a mystery. I mean, that's how she's introduced, and I think she still remains a mystery to this day. Um, but I'm trying well, to dig into that, and I'm trying to. If trying you to have get a any question of mysteries of the Bible, you just need to call me, and I'll explain it to you. you know? <laughs> okay. If it's mystery, yeah. you know, you're, you just know you're an excellent come. resource. Yes, Doctor Future. Yeah. Yep. And if I don't know, I ask Tom Bionic, and he knows. I just yep. take. We have a, a a phrase here that we say. Tom Bionic said it. I believe it. That settles it. <laughs> and that's our slogan. All right. So, well, um, anything else that you anticipate we're going to see in society, in the church? Anything else in well, 2012? The, this whole thing, this whole area of study. You know, there's a few books that I've that I've read that talk about that use this term, the Elijah Revolution. Okay, and yeah. you know, there's lots of uh, lots of ministries that use the name Elijah and tap into right. that kind of theme a lot, but uh, um, I, I really don't think we really have a handle on what it all means right. and and how it plays out. Um, but I, here's here's one thing that that I believe that the Elijah Revolution is about, and and it's something that in our culture. Um, it's 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 heavy duty, and people don't realize how tied in with the system that we are, and how how we can escape out of it and and really serve God with everything we are with in total freedom. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to do that. I mean, I I know myself because I have a mortgage right there. I'm <laughs> I'm locked into this financial system, and I got to come up with you know a set amount every month just to make sure that my family's taken care of. But uh, this is just something that I believe God has shown me and put on my heart it, it's actually it was a cute little uh, picture that I saw I think through Facebook um, but it just it's, it's just a short little phrase that I really believe encapsulates um, where the church is headed and how God is speaking to his church mm-hmm. and, and what the Elijah revolution truly is all about and it's this phrase it simply says God gives us people to love and things to use not people to use and things to love right Right. And I think I got that backwards a little bit, but I know, uh, I know I know what you're saying. You, no, get, the, you get the point. Yes. <laughs> got the gist of it. Yep. And that is a good encapsulation of what the difference is in those two worldviews. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way of the world and the way of the kingdom to come. Yeah. And uh, sadly, you you see a mixture of both in the church and mostly more on the worldly and the things. Yeah. Uh, particularly in the, the higher up the infrastructure you go in the systems. Yeah. Tom, what's your thinking over there? Um, over? I'm going, I, you know, it's interesting. I've been long, for the last several weeks, one of my strains of thought really has been sort of what you all have been talking about, uh, although not from a from a strictly un uh, eschatological viewpoint, like yeah. how then shall we live, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that I've shared with you, Dr. Future, and perhaps maybe we'll talk more about mm-hmm. this at length in the future, uh, is, you know, what do you put at the center of your interpretive grid? You know, uh, mm-hmm. everything that everything that Peter shared seems to can be sort of shoehorned into that question, depending on how great you make the semantic field. Um, you know, as I don't know if I've said it here or not, but I've I've been going with the idea that instead of putting, you know, like, like um, 
the Calvinist perspective tends to put the sovereignty of God at the center of their interpretive grid, and yeah. dispensationalists tend to put dispensational, you know, the the promises of God and His dispensing of uh, of of knowledge and 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 you know mm-hmm. um, theology and and yeah. all that stuff at the center. Whereas, you know, like Lutherans put sort of a Lutheran Christology at the center and, mm-hmm. and and on and on, Messianic Judaism puts the Messianic character, at least at its best, you know, at the center mm-hmm. of their theology. And I think for me, uh, to echo sort of what Peter was saying, you know, I'm trying to put love at the center of my interpretive grid. And I yeah. think that that's reading, if you, this is a great experiment. Take the letter of 1 Corinthians and remove all of the verses and all the verse markings and the uh, chapter markings and just read it as a letter and you find that uh chapter 13 is yeah. is is the heart of the letter that's right you know yeah uh you it's interesting because you can find people people pointing theologically to different things in first and second yeah. corinthians but if you just read it as a letter a which you find really the heart of the, yeah. the heart of it is very obvious it's first yeah. it's 13 yeah. is the center of the, the center of everything huh yeah. okay so and what was the field you said interpretive field semantic field semantic field yeah is that where the gog magog war happens is that at the semantic field or yeah <laughs> armageddon fight it out with commas and apostrophes okay. and stuff i'm gonna look at my concordance for semantic fields yeah so well you can't use a king there. james what you need is a what you need is one of the more modern scholarly concordances and okay. use semantic fields okay all right so I- no, seriously. You you just speak over my head, so you know I have to make a stupid comment. Well, it's because I'm taller than you. Can't that's understand. all. I know. <laughs> oh boy, you probably wish you were on Iron Show. You could have a little bit more sophisticated discussion, don't you? You have to put up with this kind of stuff. Um, what's in store for Peter Good Game in 2012? What are you going to be doing? Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure yet. I try and live life uh, by the moment. Um, <laughs> it's hard to do with the mortgage, but. Uh, but right now, yeah, I took I took some I took some time off from work, so uh, my my checking account balance is hurting right yeah. now. So I'm I'm yeah. going back to work. I've okay. uh, I've been cutting wood today, so okay. And <laughs> yeah, I'm back to construction. Um, All right. But yeah, I can't wait for for this book to come out, and and I'm I'm continuing just to. You know, I take a notepad with me wherever I go, pretty much, and mm-hmm. I'm always writing stuff down. I'm always, you know, I'm trying to stay in, in communion with God and, and listening and, mm-hmm. and just uh, writing down stuff that, that just strikes me. Um, and and this is this whole economic thing. It's we're yeah. we're so far from <laughs> from heaven's perspective, and we need to get back there. You know, right. uh, another thing that, uh, going back to what, uh, what Tom Brannock was saying about love, you know, it's, I, I really believe that, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, mm-hmm. but there's this, you know, there's a process that, as Christians, we're supposed to submit ourselves to, and it's, and it's, you know, the, the semantic term is, you know, uh, sanctification. But all that really is, is, is growing in love. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, I think even in my book I talk about how there's there's like two components to grace. There's like two two parts to grace, and the, and the first part is, you know, everybody talks about how how salvation is a free gift, right? All you got to do is say a little prayer and you're saved, and and you get access to, you know, you become an eternal being and you get access to the spiritual gifts and and it's all for free, it's all for free, it's all for free, 
And I think this, uh, although I believe that, I think what has been ignored is the second part of grace, which is it's the grace of God. It's the Spirit of God coming into your life and and changing changing you from the inside. You know, and it's it's growing in growing in love for God, growing in love for your fellow man, and it's where Jesus takes away all that stuff that your carnal nature wants to hold on to. But it's it's what Paul talks about. There's that war between the spirit and the flesh. But the mm-hmm. thing is that, that that whole process it's a work of grace because we can't do it on our own. You know, we can't stop sinning on our own by our own natural power. Yeah. We need the Holy Spirit. And it's and it's freely given. It's there for us. We just have to you know, accept that and allow God to, to do that work in our lives. So what I've, what I've understood is that what I've seen is that, you know, the, like the power gifts, the prophecy and healings and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, that, that comes with the first part of grace. That's all there. That's, that's, that's actually easy access. God has it right there for you. Yeah. And this irritates a lot of people because you see, you know, a lot, some of these superstar Christians that are, you know, they're, they're brought up and they're put on a pedestal, and yet they're full of character flaws. But right, yet they're doing right. miracles, and they're seeing awesome things, and it, it irritates a lot of Christians because they're not holy. You know, they don't portray have this right. holy, um, righteous exterior. Um, but I, I truly believe, though, that, that God wants God wants His church to be walking as as a complete church. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. really what that come out of for my people. Is all about. It's a call to holiness. Hmm. It's a call for the church to to submit to that to the to the total package of grace, mm-hmm. and and to understand that there is that part that's that's freely given and that we have access to. Mm-hmm. But then there's that other part that you know the truth is. Even Jesus said, you know, you've got to be willing to lay down your whole life. So in one sense, there's a part of grace that Jesus says it will cost you everything. Right. So what is that that He wants from us? It's only that stuff that's of no eternal value anyway. So yeah. it, hmm. ultimately, it really doesn't cost us anything. But it's just to our carnal mind, we think, you know, oh, no. I mean, I, I deal with, you know, I still have friends, you know, my old construction buddies that, that they, they still like to, you know, party every weekend and, and wake up, wake up and, and smoke marijuana. You know, that's their, yeah. that's their lifestyle. And I share with them amazing testimonies of, what God's been doing in my life and, and some of the things I've seen, and it's like they're attracted to that. Yet on the other hand, they don't want to be a hypocrite, and they know that they don't want to let go of this stuff. Right. So they're holding mm-hmm. on to it, you know? Right. But, right. you know, that's the whole love thing is it's that basically what I'm saying is this, this call to holiness, it's, it can be a legalistic pressure, you know? Mm-hmm. It has right. to be something that you desire yourself, and it's a work of grace in your own heart, where mm-hmm. you, where you don't want to sin anymore, because you don't want to mm-hmm. hurt God, because you represent and it's personal. Jesus. Yeah, yeah it's, and it's, it's a personal thing because of the nature of your personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. let Jesus down, who 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 died to bring you to this amazing mm-hmm. place as a, as a son or daughter of God, and so you you want to represent Him as best you can, and when you fall short, yeah. it 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 hurts you, and so. And so you say you're sorry, and you repent, and you move on. But uh, that's that's really what I see is going to happen to the church. There's going to be yeah. a renewed, um, just a commitment to God and, yeah. a, and a willingness to yeah. to do whatever it takes to give up whatever whatever the Spirit is telling us to give up. And yeah. and it's it's going to be amazing.
Well, I mean, there's a warning. There's a warning in that passage too. That there's an implication that if you don't, you can be partaker of the, you know, the curses that come yeah. on Babylon if you don't. Yeah. It's a sobering. Yeah. You know, there's a there's an old cliched story that, uh, you know, Bible scholars have fought hard to debunk. And even if it's not true, I still find it instructive. And it's the story about the story of the uh, easier for a rich man to go through the eye of the needle. Yeah. Uh, camel, uh, the camel go through the eye of a needle and the rich man in the kingdom of heaven. And right. there was a story about this uh, gate called the needle's eye where the camel, to go through it, you'd, he would have to get on his knees and take off all of the stuff on his back. He'd ah, crawl through and get yeah. on the other side and then load it back up. Yeah. And people said, no, there wasn't any such gate. But you know what? That is a very instructive visual image yeah. because yeah. what it's happens is down. we come we come burdened with we have all this stuff on us and it's our treasure. Yeah. Our treasure is our our freedom to live like we want, to indulge in pleasures, hedonism, to put our interests first. Yeah. Um all Ideology. these things we hang on to. Yeah. And and we see this narrow gate that Lord wants us to go through and we don't want to release that kind of stuff, but the gate only fits us. And so we we regret or oh this is going to be so painful to give up all these things that are my treasures I've worked so hard to accumulate them my whole life to enjoy them and now I'm giving them up and what suddenly when you get on the other side you realize that they were actually burdens yeah and you have a completely different perspective about what was once your treasure that it was a burden that was burdening you down and you finally this narrow gate was intended to liberate you That's right. from the burden of um Basically, uh, trying to be self-satisfied, to measure up to peer pressure, yep. to the expectations of other people, to find self-worth yeah, from other people or from your accomplishments or possessions or whatever. And Jesus wants to just lift all that stuff off our back. That's right. And uh, when we are willing to let go of it, um, we'll carry our baggage until we're ready to let go of it. Yep. yep. And uh, go on from there. Peter, we've already gabbed for... Longer than we'd intended to talk. But <laughs> I tell you, it's a pleasure. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you with us. And uh, I assume, like you said, the book will probably be out in about three months, right? Yeah, yeah I think so. And the title, the title of the book is? It's going to be The Second Coming of the Antichrist. Second Coming of the Antichrist. I assume they'll have something on Defender Press and, and RaidersNewsNetwork.com. Yeah. And plus, Red Moon Rising. Dot com yep. will have it, That's right? right. That's will, right. Will you have a dedicated website for this? Uh, for this uh, I don't. I, I don't plan on it at this time. I, I might. We'll see. Okay. All we'll right. see how that all works out. Okay, because you've yeah. built quite a brand with RedMoonRising.com. <laughs> and uh, so that, yeah, that uh, old 20th mystique. century uh, yeah. uh, template there. That was the first website ever created on the internet, it, it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of the one of the first three. Yeah. URL number one. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, you, that mystique that you have with that, it's good to keep that going forward. Yeah. And you certainly have a mystique with our listeners. I know I still have people saying, what was that What was that Future Quake show number that Longshoreman Johnny talks 54. about? I mean, people from, people from all over the world just emailed this week saying, <laughs> we, we can't. And I think he accidentally called it show 60 one time. Yeah, so I have, 64. To, yeah. I have to correct it for people. Yeah. So. You have been part of a phenomenon, and we've been privileged to be part of it. We want to keep hearing what you have to say. You've inspired a lot of people like me to take a crack at trying to put thoughts out there on the street, too. And I just want to appreciate it so much, and that's going to continue to have an influence. But thank you so much for being a blessing, not just to us, but to all of our listeners all these years. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a privilege. 
And uh, we're just getting, that's the best part of 2012 I've heard yet, is a new Future Quake book. I mean, not Future Quake, but Peter Goodgame book. Because mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's the kind of thing that we're looking for here. So, mm-hmm. Peter, God bless you and your family uh, returning to your work. And we sure look forward right. to having you back here on Future Quake. Okay. Thank you, guys. Love you guys. God bless. You too, man. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. What's up, yo? Maximus Bionic. <laughs> I'm glad you gave your name, at least. That's nice. Yeah. You know, people know who you're talking to. Yeah. Right? Well, that was a uh, visit. It's been a year in between. Yep. With Peter Good Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you sense the difference in the Peter Good Game of end of 2010 and the end of 2011? He didn't actually give us very many predictions. Well, that's consistent, actually. We didn't get that oh, many really? of them yeah. last time either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's fired up. I mean, you know, yeah, he's that's more good. fired up about writing, yeah. evidently. Yeah, that's he's good. a little bit more into that the prophecy mm-hmm. and things. Yeah, but he's still as much as ever interested into the power of the Holy Spirit and and mm-hmm. miracle working mm-hmm. as a part of a natural lifestyle. Yeah, that sort of sounds funny. Miracle working for a natural life, but you know what I mean. I do. Whether just a natural part residing within. Mm-hmm. So, yep. anyway. Any other thoughts you had on his comments? Um, I just enjoyed it. It's it's interesting to hear him talk. I feel like uh, in some ways we're using, we're coming from opposite ends and very using very different verbiage, but ar- arriving at more or less the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Same starting place in working out. So could be the good. time zones or the fact that he's, you know, yeah. in an island nation or something like well, that. It could maybe. be. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'd, that's part of it. If I could, I'd live there. It'd be cool. Hawaii. Yeah, man. He can build stuff. Let's get him on it. Yeah, man. You know? Let's just get all the shack by the ocean. I want something like the Branch Davidians had, where we could all, the Futurians, we could just all go there together. Well, there's like Niaha. There's Niaha Island, you know? That's that one that's sort of a closed community where people. They live and they're they uh, kind of yeah. it's almost like a fishing village and they speak Hawaiian yeah and you can't let people in there it's it's a private island huh. uh, the Robinson family owns it yeah and uh, it's just kind of their own private thing huh well here's to you Robinsons um, I guess it's harder to do evangelism when like you're like the only people on an island like that for the most part it's a Christian island actually yeah uh, is it? everybody there they they have one church and like uh, almost everybody attends yeah. Yeah. Wow. Some of those people that we've been hearing about in Oak Initiative and elsewhere, they'd like that if it's a Christian nation there, you know. Yeah, but it's not like it's, you know, it's not like it's enforced. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's not like people go go walking around with a shotgun going, guess where you're going? <laughs> to church. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, actually, it'd be uh, totally different. Well, you wouldn't understand like what it. they were saying because it's all in Hawaii. Yeah, right. But there's no headhunters or anything like that there? Not that, that I'm aware of, yeah. no. But they have all these, yeah. like, exotic animals that used to exist on the Hawaiian Islands. They still live there, oh, and they okay. actually breed them and hunt them and then oh. and then eat them. Why am I not surprised? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, somebody else who uh, is not a headhunter and I would love to have on there with me is Merv, who can tell all of us how to contact us at Future Quake. Mm-hmm. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Any other words you have, Brother Tom? Mahalo. Mahalo. Well, uh, I'm going to bring up something here. Yeah, I was talking it's about announcement time. 2012. Uh, that's sort of the big announcement for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a prediction. Talking about what the prediction <laughs> is. Uh, it's more than a prediction. It's something that uh, is on its way. Um, we're doing right now our, our weekly show number 295. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in just over a month, we're going to be having our show 300. Mm-hmm. And that will be the concluding show of the experiment we know as Future Quake. After Unless something seven, changes, yeah. Anything could happen, but for the time being, this is planned to be the uh, the wrap up of Future Quake. After seven years, we're going to have a big blowout show uh, with some of our friends and things like that on. And uh, I know a lot of people are probably wondering why uh, why is that happening. And there's a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I feel that it's the right time. Uh, one is because um, I really feel called by God to write a couple books mm-hmm. on some topics that people here hear me rattle on and on about, and I know they get tired of hearing about it. And uh, I've been trying to get them done while doing the other duties of Future Quake. And uh, there's a lot of things that go on that people don't know about uh, doing Future Quake. Uh, yeah, a lot it's, of it's good It's stuff. an all-consuming thing. Sort of is, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't know that... Uh, um, and this is not even talking about all the ministry stuff you do on your own, Tom, but, but just me answering the emails about a nine to ten hour a day thing. Just answering emails from folk. And I'm thankful for that because I love everybody there. Wow. And they're either providing How information. Somebody or, just sent me an email. Check yeah. this out since we're talking about it. Somebody yeah. just sent me an email that it had, it had one sentence in it. It says, when one door closes, the other opens. <laughs> It just came in your in basket. It came into my in basket right now. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, but and, and it's funny. Some some of that stuff happened too. But I was just saying that um, I'm not getting the job done on writing what I feel like the Lord has me to do, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel called to write unpopular books for uncomfortable on uncomfortable topics. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, that doesn't really make bestsellers. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't make anything. You know that you would find very lucrative, but it's something I really feel called to do. Mm-hmm. And what I need to do is to take what our listeners and our guests have taught us for the last seven years mm-hmm. and start putting it into practice mm-hmm. and getting the message together. And I want to reach out to the people who don't listen to Future Quake, the mainstream Christian audience, and, and in some cases those who are not even a Christian audience, but um, those who would never darken our, our where we are mm-hmm. that just don't know. And I really feel like we've come to a point of future quake, and I think this is something that we can celebrate, where I believe our listeners, the thousands of them that are out there, feel like they can almost finish our sentences. That, for judging from the email I get, when we have issues, things come up in the news that we talk about, um, they know exactly where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. You look at the email, it's like they already know it. They get it. Mm-hmm. And so then the question becomes, um, is that where fruit's going to be? If we just talk amongst ourselves in the salt mm-hmm. shaker, we need to get out and go to the uncomfortable stuff, which is not amongst us who all get each other. Mm-hmm. But are we going to go to the people who think we're all nuts? And this has been a little retreat place for us, for all of us in our respective places we live, and people think we're nuts. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Lord's got to get us out there doing more. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, But there was even a couple signs. There were some brethren in the Lord that, that are in this 
kind of ministry that we yeah. do. We can't really say, but it seems like there's some other people going to fill in. Well, they sent, they sent a message at a critical time, two of them independently, that basically gave some confirmation of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I just took that as a sign from God that the, that the time was right uh, for this. And uh, I feel at peace about it. I'm mm-hmm. sad in one way because Future Quake has been my identity for the last seven years of my life. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done. I don't mean great in accomplishment, but as far as how it makes me feel. And uh, all of our listeners out there, when they send emails and they say about how it's changed their life or this or that, um, you don't know how much that blesses me because there isn't a more insecure guy out there than me that I uh, feel like every week I sort of make a fool of myself and throw stumbling blocks out there and, and, and uh, you know, take good guess and mess them up and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so what you all have had a huge role in ministering to me. Of course, Tom, you're the ultimate in that respect. Even when you make fun of me unmercifully, I know you really care and love me. and mm-hmm. appreciate. Totally, man. And uh, we'll, we'll get the mushy stuff here when we get our last show, and that'll be five weeks. Now, we've got another great guest next week, and then we'll have just a couple classic weeks of you and me doing some awesome. new things we want to talk about. And mm-hmm. there's probably going to be a lot of things just happening here in January, it looks like, in the world possibly. And uh, mm-hmm. we've got a, uh, got another interview at the end of next month or into this month, I guess, in January. And then we'll we'll close things out. And then we'll just see what the Lord does. Yeah. And like you said, I'm open to anything the Lord has. Uh, we still think we're probably going to get, get up in the FEMA camp together. So it yeah. will be moot. Mm-hmm. But until then, we got to bear fruit. Yeah. Until then. And uh, I just want, want everybody to know how much I love them. Yeah, me and too, love man. Love you too, brother. Love you too. Love, love all our guests. I almost love Pyro, not quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we love our the... love our listeners. Mm-hmm. Love all my friends there on uh, my Facebook friends on the Future Quake thing. Yeah. Interact with some of them. We're all struggling with a lot of the similar kind of stuff. Yeah, man. And uh, so we're going to leave it at that and uh, let y'all chew on that and um, look forward to seeing you back next week. Mm-hmm. But until then, we we'll hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Later. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.